Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of MCG Rants. I'm Tannen Grace, and as always, I'm joined by Ross Merriam. Ross, how are you doing today? I am doing quite well, Tannen. It's been it's gorgeous today in Roanoke. The weather was amazing, so I got outside and played some tennis with Corey for the first Ooh. time this season. Ooh. Had a lot of rain earlier in the week, so... Uh, yeah, know. it has rained every day here this week. In the last three days, it's rained nonstop. My dog is pissed. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we wanted to get into basketball yesterday. Couldn't because it was raining. Uh, and then today, a lot of people were working in the afternoon, so we couldn't make the schedule work. So Corey and I played some tennis. I got to use my hopper. I bought, I bought what is, a... You, what's that? It, you know the uh, the sort of crate that tennis people have that's just filled with tennis balls and they'll yeah, like yeah. walk around the court and sort of that, slam it down to pick up the balls. Yeah, We had yeah. that in golf too. Yeah, I didn't know it was yeah. called a hopper. Yeah, it's called a hopper. So I, I bought one towards the end of last summer and actually never used it because we, we just got so deep into basketball. Corey and I didn't play tennis for a while. Uh, and I, I had a, a, a case of balls, so I think 12 cans. So I just got to fill that up and walk, you know, feel super, uh, you know, official walking down to the courts with my hopper full of tennis balls. I um, actually kind of miss tennis. Uh, I used to play a little bit during college. And when I say play, I very badly played. Yeah, And casually. then uh, myself and Timothy Landell used to do it when we lived in Vegas. That would be like one of our workout things because uh, he had a tennis court at his apartment complex that was like not completely in the sun you know you could have some it could be shaded a little bit which is nice during vegas summers where it gets to be literally <laughs> yeah, 115 yeah so you know you would just die in the first well i mean we're poker players too so we're pretty out of shape but it was fun i think i left my tennis stuff in vegas as well like i i have no idea where my tennis stuff is which i mean it was like a racket and some balls you know I mean? it wasn't like yeah, a yeah. lot of tennis stuff so. it was probably like a you know a 30 walmart racket or whatever yeah yeah and like i'm decidedly bad at that game which is Tennis is one of the sports that really frustrates me because, like, every other sport in my life, I'm not the most athletic guy in the world, right? But I'm not the least athletic guy. And, like, generally, um, I pick up a sport pretty well. Like, I'm okay at it, right? As long as I don't have any, like, physical limitations. Like, obviously, I can't dunk. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. You know, like, yeah. Right? Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a clever dude. I, I follow sports a lot. So, like, the mental aspect of it, at least I know what something should look like. I know what to expect. And I feel like my learning curve is, is, is on the better end of things. Tennis, however, has always eluded me. And I don't get it either because it's, like, a lot of it's been the footwork with setting yep. up shots correctly. And it's much more difficult for some reason for me to have to think about where I'm putting my feet when I've never had to do that in any sport that I've ever played. Yeah, I think the thing that that really gets people with tennis and what makes it r fairly difficult is that it blends the need for athleticism and technique and, and really building a skill, which is facility with the racket. You know, I, I I like to think of sports as a on usual a sort of two dimensional uh, you know space in my head where one dimension is how you know how much athleticism is required for the sport. And then how much, you know, technique and skill building is required for it on the other axis. And you think of a sport like golf, which I know you're quite proficient in, uh, you know, less athleticism required relative to something like basketball or football by a pretty wide yeah. margin. You don't uh, need the uh, the cardio. As yeah, much. yeah, exactly. Uh, but, you know, r rates ridiculously highly on the, the skill aspect of it. It's the hardest it, thing I've ever done. It's like the yeah, most humbling thing I've no, ever it's done. Yeah. It's ridiculously hard. Yeah. Uh, and... Uh, so, but you know, you you can build that skill. You can really focus and hone in on it without having to worry as much about you know the, the athleticism side of it. 
uh, you know, a sport like basketball, there's, you know, form and shooting, but you can get by a lot with just being athletic, just being able to run and jump and, and things like that. But tennis, like you gotta have, you basically have to do both at the same time. Like you know, you, you gotta you sprint to the ball and then set up your shot. And, you know, you're, like you said, the footwork is so important and it's the first thing to go when you get tired. Oh yeah. You start like quote unquote cutting corners, you know, you start like getting sloppy with your footwork. Oh yeah. It just and makes that, it really and fun. then you start like adjusting the way you're swinging because your feet are, are poorly set. Yeah. The, Corey and I put on quite the display today. I think we hit about 12 balls over the fence. You know, the, the first, first day back after not playing for six or eight months is always rough. Yeah. Oh, it's always rough. Uh, also I get, I get tennis elbow when I play and I just hate it so much. I've started to get, uh, get it in my hand. I don't know why, but after like forty-five minutes, it'll start to ache. I'm wondering if I'm like developing. I have like that problem. Yeah, I have that problem. Stress. Ex- yeah, I have the problem and expect it no matter what because I have like uh, some carpal tunnel issues, especially my right hand, and it um it actually really stemmed from from golf and then golf into like poker and you know using a computer a lot as I got into that days because uh, one of the main things like uh, my coach in high school used to tell me is like you grip the clubs too. He's like, you know, you're, you're choking the life out of your club, like chill out, like relax a little bit more, but it just feels so wrong to me. Cause you know, I, I learned how to play by myself. You know what I mean? I taught myself how to play as a kid, you know, and stuff like that. Anyway, we can, we can move on. Um, I had a, uh, what's the right word here? A, I had a, a productive week for me for stuff outside of the norm and, and more of it to come. Um, Lots of fantasy baseball drafts because we're less than a week from, you know, like this. So this is Friday afternoon that we're recording for people at home just so, you know, they get the timing right. Um, this is the only day that Ross and I could get together. And we'll, we'll explain why. And uh, I've already done two drafts for the season and I have two more. Uh, the interesting part of all of it is every one of my drafts is unique in some way. So I'm never like doubling up on the same kind of draft because they can all be so different in baseball and, and like the the way the scoring is done or you know, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, there's and, so there's so many variations. Yeah, so it's really nice, and they've almost all been spaced out. Besides, my last two are on back to back days, but the last one that I have is the one that I'm like the most proficient in, and I'm used to the most, and I've done the most. So I have to do like the least amount of work for, you know, because usually we find out what our draft pick number is going to be a few days before, because all of us take it pretty seriously. We won't want to like find out 30 minutes before, like for the last draft that I did. You know, I had pick seven out of 12, right? And I did, I don't know, 10 to 15 mock drafts. Like, not always the full thing, but I would try out different strategies of, like, who I'm taking at 7. Because it's, like, pretty... You can kind of figure it out or whatever. Anyway, uh, that happened. And then um, I got my first shot yesterday for the vaccine for COVID-19. And I have to say this. Um, it was a weird experience. I was a little nervous you know, because I've like never really done anything like this, you know, that I can remember. I'm sure they did stuff like this when I was a kid, you know, kind of thing. Um, I was nervous, you know, worried about, you know, how it was going to feel, uh, the, the after effects, the side effects, and then uh, optimistic. Because I get there, there was like a line, people were like, you know, ready to get their shots, like we're getting going. My state's opening up in a few days to just allow any adult to get it done. You know, because a lot of states are getting to the point where they're like, they're like, you know, we have we have X amount free every day. Like at the end of the day, let's... must be. Yeah. Well, I also live in a very red area, so I have a feeling that contributes to it because it's like us in Texas that are doing it right now, and it's like those are traditionally very very red areas. You know, and so um, anyway, uh, I have been pretty lucky in that I haven't had any of the like 
super adverse side effects so far. You know, like my wife had some like headaches and, you know, was, was kind of like in the, in bed a little extra, right? Myself, um, <clears throat> I feel like I worked out exactly my like left shoulder and tricep yesterday and that's it. Like I can't raise my arm above like the, like you can see me. I can't raise my arm above like the shoulder level, like past perpendicular or whatever. Yeah. It, 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 it's just sore as hell, right? And uh, it was done extremely quick. You know, I had to sit there for 15 minutes afterwards when I was done just to make sure you don't have any, like, allergic reactions or whatever, right? And then I drove home and I was done. And I'm excited. Um, I, I get the one that's it's four weeks from that date. So four weeks from yesterday, four weeks from that Thursday, I'll be going back in and getting my second dose. And I'm, you know, helping the country get one step closer to being a little more safe. So, Good job, Tana. Good job. And it's not like I'm looking for a good job. Honestly, like I just felt like I had a weight lifted off of me. And it, that's so strange, right? Like that I have to feel that way or that like that's something that happens. But like, you know, I saw some, you know, a lot of people have been, you know, putting it up on Twitter. They're like, I just got my, you know, they put up their little, you know, the, the piece of paper. They give you the card. Yeah. I'll say mine's on my fridge. so I don't forget it and I don't lose it. And, you know, people are putting it up and it's like, here's the thing. I usually don't put that kind of stuff on social media and I didn't, but I don't think there's anything wrong with it whatsoever because like it, it's it's showing people, Hey, like you should be doing this. Like it, it, it helps give people hope. Like BDM was talking yesterday. He saw some of his friends talking about how they were getting it. And he, he literally wept that he was so happy that like, this is one step closer to him, like being able to interact with his friends again in person. Yeah. I, I can't imagine anybody like taking offense to people getting this vaccine because every single individual getting it helps every other person. Right? Yeah, this is a collective a, effort. So to me, that's just a, a, that's a cause for celebration all around. Anybody yeah. getting vaccinated, you know, my, uh, my my the my parents have both gotten their second dose r recently, so that's nice. great. Yeah, I, I was very happy to hear that because they're they're both over sixty five, so they they were towards the front of the line. I am not anywhere near the front of the line, by the way, so I'm very happy that I got yeah. mine. No, I I I realize that I'm going to be you know at, at the back of the line. There was actually. I think uh, I saw uh, in our one of our Facebook chats, uh, Director Rob got an email to make an appointment here. I did not get that same email, so I guess the state of Virginia just hates me. Yeah, I mean, like it's probably something along to do with like the the way you you talk too much and and some of your <laughs> stuff that they see on social. No, I'm joking, but no. <laughs> yes, <laughs> there's personal Ralph bias. North of sees what you do. Yeah, there's 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 personal bias for sure. Um, but no, like you know, the last little bit I'll say in in like. I can definitely identify with BDM uh, for people at home, Brian David Marshall. Um, I can definitely identify with what he said. And I didn't like, you know, openly weep or anything like that. Right. But there was a feeling of like euphoria. And do you know the feeling after you've had like a good day? And like when, when you had a good day is in like you got your work done, you know, like you went to co like, like think about college. Like you got your the, stuff the done. feeling of accomplishment. Yeah, you got that feeling of accomplishment and like, I got those, what's the way the kids put it on the website? They say the good brain chemicals. I got the good yeah. brain chemicals, right? And like, I got home and I was like, yeah, my arm hurts. This sucks, but this is awesome kind of thing. So I was yeah, like super it, happy. It's, it's a weight being lifted off of you. Mm -hmm. I highly recommend it to everybody too, that like, just check your local, like I, the reason I looked was because, you know, the, the announcement came out that Texas was open and we were going to be open for, for doing it. I was like, yeah, I might as well go ahead and book now so I can get one of the first ones because I assume it's going to be busy once it's open to just anyone. And I looked in my area and they're like, there's openings in your area this week. And I was like, what? And I just went and clicked on it. And they were like, yeah, you can get some this week. And I was like, done. Like I called them and I made sure. I was like, hey, I'm not taking a spot from anybody. They're like, no, we're, we're good. They're like, come, you know, we've got enough like every day and kind of stuff. So 
uh super great to, i know that there was a, a little a little something for you this week as well uh one of the most flurry uh flurry filled days probably like one of the like five most busy days in the nba happened this week and that's the nba trade deadline usually free agency is what about a two to three day period of like just a ton of moves even though it's all kind of one day yeah, well, free agency is really like th- like six weeks or something, but it mostly happens in the first week or so. Yeah, all the uh, big moves almost always happen. Yeah, like, but the, yeah. the trade deadline stuff you, is usually condensed to like the four hours before the mm-hmm. actual deadline. Yeah. Uh, we, because it's very everybody's, similar. Everybody's trying to wait to the last minute to get the best possible deal and stuff. And this is actually a, a more active trade deadline than most because the off season was so short. So there. Yeah. Uh, so less action there means you know teams had more holes to fill at the deadline. Mm-hmm. There's also uh, more teams that feel like they're contending for a playoff spot because of the play-in system they're using this year. Yeah, and I was gonna say that I, I feel like there's more optimism in the trade deadline this year, and like I, I gotta think it's that there's um you know the, the Lakers look mortal this year with a lot of injuries. You know Anthony Davis and LeBron are not playing, and like you know what's that gonna look like when they? I mean, here's the thing. If LeBron's healthy, he's going to go nuts in the playoffs, right? But, like, what if AD isn't AD in the playoffs? Like, the, the, the Lakers are beatable. And you're seeing a lot of teams, you know, like, we're seeing Chicago be positive for the first time in a very, very like, since probably, you know, uh, when Rose was an MVP candidate. And I know this was a cool trade deadline for you because it wasn't so much about what your team did or didn't do because the Jazz, like, made a, a peripheral move that might matter next uh, year. Or the they year acquired Matt Thomas, who is going to be an all-star immediately, right? Yeah, sure. They can't yeah. lose now that they have Matt Thomas on their team. Yeah, exactly. But it was more about what the teams who were your direct, like, Utah's direct stepping stone to get to the championship or at least get to the NBA Finals. It was more about what those teams did or didn't do for you. Yeah, uh, and I think... Uh, you know, the Clippers made a, a, a significant move, though not, you know, a blockbuster one, trading Lou Williams for Rajon Rondo. Uh, they're hoping to get playoff Rondo, as everybody calls it. Basically, yeah. I'm skeptical that that's actually going to do anything, but Lou Williams was a net negative anyway. So th- this is a move that I don't think is going to hurt them, but I also don't think it's going to help them pretty lateral, though it does give them, a, you know, th- they need somebody who can just distribute the basketball, really. So it, it does give them that. And then the big move in terms of the Western Conference was from Denver trading for Aaron Gordon. Uh, you know, we were talking about this the other day. The idea of Aaron Gordon is better than the reality of Aaron Gordon. <laughs> He's this like great guy with great physical tools. He's decent at a lot of things, but he's not really excellent at anything. I don't really see that moving the needle for Denver, but there's always a lot of optimism. This is honestly like there's always so much overreaction uh, from fans. It feels like they always just want their team to make moves every time. For the and sake of making moves. And I yeah. Think, yeah like, right. And every team that like makes big moves gets overrated as a result. It's like, oh, oh, they made the big move. Like They're going to get so much better. And that's just never, like so rarely the case. So I was you know pretty glad that there wasn't a huge move from uh, Utah. There's a lot of the fan base is kind of screaming to get rid of Bogdanovich, which is ridiculous they did the same thing last year wanting to get rid of mike conley when he was having a down year right and if like the jazz had done that you know they wouldn't have awesome conley right now so always got to take a more long-term view on things uh i don't really see much of what happened in this trade deadline affecting things moving forward there were some big moves from miami too i don't really see them uh you know see them contending the down the line the biggest move is from chicago 
like you said, there's some optimism in that franchise for the first time in quite a while. Getting uh, Nikola Vucevic uh, and not pairing him with Levine. They still need to figure out how to play some fucking defense there because both Vucevic and, and Levine are kind of turnstiles, but uh, they're definitely going to be a competitive team in the East. They'll be a playoff team, and it'll be interesting to see what they do this offseason and how they build around those two guys as their cornerstones. Uh, but it'll be nice to have a, a competitive Chicago team. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think, it's just, I think it's good for basketball when, like, the Knicks or the Bulls are or at least one of them is competitive because they've both been pretty bad for a long time now. And now they're both competitive teams, which is not super hard to be competitive in the East, but let's not take away the fact that they're better. And it's just, it's better for basketball when some of the, you know, the bigger markets have some good teams and stuff too. Yeah. No, I, I, I completely agree. And the Knicks, you know, finally look good for the first time in quite a while this year too. So, you know, uh, Kind of wish we'd held on to Julius Randle. I'm not gonna lie, <laughs> but, you know, no, no one saw this coming. You know? No, no, no. That that's for sure. Uh, so he's definitely ascended at some point. You know. Yeah, he's, as, as I like to put it. Uh, yeah, he, he he took quite quite a leap in the in in the off season. So yeah, cool little trade deadline. Um, I'm just you know looking forward to wrapping up the regular season and getting into the playoffs. We've got about two months left uh, in the regular season. And the Jazz have a pretty easy schedule in terms of uh, they've got just not a lot of high uh, of the top teams left, and the two they have two games against the Lakers left, and they're both like if if LeBron comes back at the most optimistic timetable, he'll come back right in time for one or two of those games, but if he's out, you know, the fifth week instead of just four, then he's going to miss them be interesting to see if he's back for those two games. I'm, I'm kind of expecting him to be back for one. Uh, and it'll be, the, it'll sort of be like w- what happened when the, when the jazz played the Clippers twice, where the Clippers didn't have their team for one of them, the jazz one going away. And then the, the Clippers won a close one in the second one. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see that happen, but uh, you know, at this point, like the, the, the incredible run the jazz had is, is good, is done. They're just gotta, you know, sort of stay healthy and uh, and stay in gear rhythm. The playoffs, yeah, yeah, gear up, yeah. So, um, you know, a lot of stuff to be going on in the NBA. Which we're going to be hearing about this for a few more weeks, but get ready for baseball talk. At least a, probably a little bit. I'm probably going to go super deep because it's such a long season or whatever. But baseball is going to be starting soon, so I am super excited. I'm just excited to have something to watch every day for a few hours, you know, because because I don't miss games. So, oh, one last thing to talk about. And uh, this is partially a thank you to everybody who participates in our Discord, because um, some of them helped out with this. Uh, my dog, Beignet, or Benny for short, as we like to call her, has been participating in the MTG dog bracket. Uh, so every March, which I found this out last year, too late to get Benny included. But um, every March, uh, they're, they're, you know, the, the Magic community, they, they get about 64 pictures of dogs with, you know, people from around the community. And they do a, like, March Madness bracket thing. And they, uh, you know, vote on uh, dogs. Here's the thing. It's fun, but the overall idea of one dog being better than the other one is kind of offensive in a small way because, like, they're all great dogs for us. Yeah, it's and, a tie. Uh, but it's, it's, it's technically a tie, but someone wins the tie, if you know what I mean. And it's going to be Benny. We're going to put it that way. Um, as of right now, she's gearing up for her third round. She's won the so first in, two. In the Sweet 16. Yeah, she's in the Sweet 16. Uh, she's actually about to have a birthday. And it, 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 her last one was like pretty much her sweet 16-ish one. Uh, however you look at dog years. But anyway, um, 
super excited. Uh, the first photo that we put up didn't come through very well, so we're kind of glad that she she got by. The second photo was a super cute one of her. Um, the, the third one, another really good one. It's been getting good reactions from the person running the account. When I send them in, they're always like, oh, wow. And I'm like, yeah, my wife goes pretty hard on some of this stuff. So I've been letting her pick the photos because we all know she's the, uh, she's the one with style and taste out of the, uh, out of the two of us. So if you're listening to this and the voting hasn't happened yet, which I think they will, I think she starts tomorrow, but I'll be posting it in the, in the discord. Make sure you vote for my dog as much as possible. And if you're voting for any other dog in, until it matches up against mine, vote for Karn. That's Jim Davis, uh, Jim Davis's dog. They're also doing pretty well in the tournament as well. So I've been, I've been voting for them. I think we have at least one other person from the Discord com- competing as well. I, I forgot to look it up. Otherwise, I would say also vote for their dog as well. Hopefully, they they're still alive in the tournament. But uh, love this going on. There is an actual prize at the end of it, which I don't. I here I I can't. I can't decide if I want to um, say when the prize comes up, be like, hey, just just roll a die for the 64 and give it to somebody randomly because they're all great dogs and they should all have an equal chance of winning. Or I'm thinking about taking the prize and uh, like doing something fun with it. Like everybody can buy like $5 raffles for it or something like that. And then I'm going to donate all of the money to like the local dog shelter or something, you know, some dog related thing. And then, you know, one winner gets it or whatever. Just I, I'm not going to like take the prize. You know what I mean? Like I'm not. I'm gonna do something fun and cool with it if she wins, or w- when she wins. <laughs> so, and speaking of uh, good-looking things and some interesting things, let's go ahead and move on to our our magic topic of the week. And uh, Magic Twitter's been a, fl- a, a, a flush with this. A lot of talks about this. But if you haven't been in keeping up with the preview season for Strixhaven, there is some crazy shit going on. And most of it centers around the mystical archive cards. So for everyone at home that doesn't know this, these are um, cards that are they're pretty much a box topper, as far as I know. They're going to be like a box topper, like the, the foil crazy looking versions. Like the, uh, they you know, they, they kind of are reminiscent of like the Amonkhet cards. They look very weird for a magic card. Yeah, they're like invocations or masterpieces or whatever. Yeah, invocations, masterpieces, uh, inventions, whatever phrase you want to use. I'm looking at them right now. The framing looks different. The coloring looks different. They kind of have like the adventure color scheme going on in some spots, you know, with like the, you know, with a little bit of a different green, a little bit of different red kind of stuff. But they're really cool. Um, I'll say this the art on a lot of this, not for me, even though I'm a big art guy, like not in magic for some reason, not for me, but the few that like, that really hit, really hit. You know, they're really good. But a few of them are just like, oh, that's kind of weird. But overall, the artwork's amazing on them. They look great. I know you're not super into that, but I, I don't know if I can bury the lead anymore. I'm going to talk about one of the cards that got spoiled, uh, like, yesterday and today. Or a couple of the cards that got spoiled yesterday and today. And the the reason that this is important, I, I don't even know the, the, the order to say all this in. But the reason this is important is all of the cards that are getting spoiled besides seven of them, are going to be legal in Historic. And these are all, you know, reprints of pretty powerful spells that have happened in the history of Magic. Now, the seven that aren't legal are very, very powerful. Uh, that's Channel, Counterspell, Dark Ritual, Demonic Tutor, Lightning Bolt, Natural Order, and Swords to Plowshare. So, uh, pretty format warping, warping cards, I think, if you were to put these into any format. You know, you're looking at cards that are every pretty much every one of these cards is either banned or very important in, like, Legacy, you know, was, like, probably too good for Modern, and very good in, like, Commander, you know, played in a bunch of other stuff. So, uh, you know, good cards to put on this list. But 
some really powerful ones kind of snuck through. And we have some cards that are in the set that are either already banned in other non-rotating formats, or they're just not legal or they're format defining. The two that I'm going to talk about right away that are very exciting and giving people kind of the, uh, you know, the, the biggest talking points because of a, a specific deck that you like that's going to be good is A, Brainstorm is going to be legal and historic. You heard that right. Brainstorm, the legacy staple, which, yes, we don't have fetch lands in this format, but we'll, we'll talk about this later. There's there's a lot of ways to really, really make this card still good. I think I think the people that are like, well, there's no fetch lands, it won't be good. I'm like, you're you're not thinking hard enough. Also, the, then, there is Fable Passage, so... Yeah, there, yeah, exactly. There's one. Yeah, exactly. But it's it's not a real fetch land until turn four, So, but you can still, you can still, you know, make some stuff happen with it. There's other cards. We'll get into that in a minute. But the one that... And we won't even get into the other reason why people are talking about this card a lot. But the one that's get a lot of people talking is Faithless Looting is now going to be legal and historic. Ross, do you know what other card has been legal and historic and hasn't been been used for a while? Is it Arclight Phoenix? It is Arclight Phoenix, Ross. And ding, ding, huh. ding. Um, I've already Faithless seen... Faithless Looting's best friend? Yeah, I've already seen like 17 different deck lists for this. Yeah, I've already been and, tagged in some. <laughs> uh, I, I, gotta, I gotta say this. There's a few that are really cool to me. And the ones that I like that I see that I'm like, yeah, that looks good. Obviously, you're gonna have opt. You're gonna have some some number of brainstorm, right? Because it's just so powerful in your deck that I think you're gonna just want this. Oh, you're gonna play four brainstorm. Like, yeah, I, I I get brainstorm is not a you know busted card without this abundance. But when uh, you compare it to lands, opt, <laughs> yeah, yeah, honestly, like it it might be it, it's it's about on par with opt. I would say in a format without Vetchlands. they're they're not that far apart. But it might be a little bit better. But that's still easily like in the deck. Right, uh, and you know that density of one mana cantrips is important for Arclight Phoenix decks to work. I've talked about it so many times as a reason why the card hasn't been successful outside of modern because the formats just don't have that density of cantrips. Brainstorm now gives you a second one in, in historic. That's really important. So yeah, you can even go further on your point because we've said that like people have always wanted you know historic uh, or pioneer versions of Arclight Phoenix. And we've always said it's missing at least one more good one-mana cantrip. And now you get two. So now you get eight. You get Brainstorm and Faithless Looting. Yeah. And Faithless Looting is like the big prize here. Like, it's the card that really makes this deck go. Yeah, it's it's it, it, you can't say enough things about it. it it's mm. It stops you from flooding. It is the most efficient way to just put Arclight Phoenixes into your graveyard. Uh, you know, it's it's so good. So it's, it's some card advantage ish type stuff late in the game when you're like, you know, turning through your deck some more and casting it from your graveyard. Uh, I've got to say the, the cool stuff that I've seen so far and the ones that really entice me are the ones where like the skeleton of it is what you would expect, you know, opt brainstorm, faithless looting, like Phoenix and like, you know, some other smattering of, you know, uh, some red spells that maybe do some damage, like, you know, a burn spell of some kind that's cheap or whatever. But I like the ones that are, also saying, like, maybe this should also be a Dreadhorn Arcanist deck. This card is already setting a precedent of being very, very good. And there are a lot of draws where you play, you know, Faithless Looting on one, maybe Discard of Phoenix or whatever, Arcanist on two, and your third turn is going to be Bananas. Yeah. Uh, the one awkward thing I will say about Dreadhorn Arcanist is it's never going to help you ca uh, trigger Arclight Phoenix. Um, which is something that you would generally like because sometimes, you know, you get stripped of resources and you're like, ah, I just needed that third spell and Arcanist could potentially give it to you, but the timing doesn't work. Um, that's, that's something that, that, that could work now that you just have that this 
such a great density of one mana spells. Uh, you also have like lightning axe and different one mana removal that you can play with it. Uh, it's, it's important to get some interaction as another option so that you get more versatility out of Arcanist. I, I actually am looking at magmatic channeler, which I think is uh, you know both a way to discard Arclight Phoenix, but it's also a way to clear your brainstorms. You know, you set the top like two that. and you put yeah. a card that you don't want along with the card that you're going to cast off the channeler. And, uh, you know, I, I can imagine doing things like turn two channeler, you know, turn three, play a brainstorm, t- uh, activate channeler, discard a phoenix, exile like a land I don't need and another spell, cast that, cast a spell from my hand, return the phoenix. And now you've generated a ton of card advantage, uh, you know, that, that you otherwise wouldn't have had. So channeler is, is the card that uh, excites me. Uh, more so than Arcanist because of the just I think it see it leads to better sequencing with what the deck wants mm-hmm. to be doing, and it's nice to have some additional ways to uh, to discard Arclight Phoenix. You know you have Lightning Axe as well, which is a nice one, uh, and then Channeler and then Looting, and, th- and that's plenty. Um, There's one other one mana card, source. It's a sorcery that got, that's getting printed into Historic that I think is relevant that we should talk about possibility possibility. Uh, possibly affecting arc like phoenix in the future sorry for that little slip there and this is inquisition of causaleg is also getting printed into historic and when i look at the red black decks right that run like thought seeds and removable and a bunch of other stuff you know you might want some number of inquisition of causaleg if you're going to turn into a phoenix deck just to have the the requisite number of cards that are cheap because if you start adding uh faithless looting to those decks I, i'm intrigued by the idea of all this you know you can um yeah, I think that's a different that's a different style of deck. I don't think yeah, that's yeah. that's that's more of the a straight dreadheart arcanist style of deck as opposed to uh Arclight Phoenix because well uh it's um who was it? Sam Black. He 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 wrote an article last week which I thought was really good, a good theory piece about the differences between decks that want to play, or at least part of it was about the differences between decks that want to play resource-rich games and decks that want to play resource-light games and why that's the case, how those games play out differently, and you know how to gear up to, for those kinds of games. Arclight Phoenix is a card that wants to play resource-rich games so that you constantly have more gas to keep bringing it back, right? Um, and dre- like the Dreadhorde Arcanist decks are want to just play resource light games they would just want to strip the opponent of all the interaction and gain card advantage with the arcanist uh and that's why it plays well with all of that the one-man interaction so inquisition of Kozilek goes you know great in, in that deck i think it'll be a staple of Rakdos arcanist faithless looting uh, you you know you think back to things like mordu pyromancer and modern if you've got some things that you want to discard that are good in that Rakdos deck you can definitely play faithless looting and it'll be nice to have you know, I think uh, Croxa is a fine one to, to discard. I would want to see, uh, you know, some some sort of Lingering Souls-esque card. Well, not... Young Pyromancer is legal in this format, too. Yeah, and the deck pl- plays Pyromancer. I'm, I'm just thinking, like, cards that yeah. you can effectively discard to, to Faithless Suiting. You need a little bit more than Croxa, but Croxa gets you p- pretty close. Uh, you know, that's already a pretty good deck in Historic, Reactor's Arcanists. So Inquisition, you know, easy home there. I think it... Um, it's not going to be as good as you see it in modern because curves are a little bit bigger in historic. So I think the most lists that are playing both will have the split more towards Thoughtseize. Mm-hmm. I think like you know Jund decks in modern usually play four Inquisition, two Thoughtseize. I think you'll see more three threes or four two in favor of Thoughtseize in historic. But 
definitely worth it for those decks to be playing more than four discard spells because they you know their goal is to go turn one discard spell, take your removal, turn to Arcanist, and go from there. So, yeah, yeah, In- and Inquisition's great. Yeah, and as I was to say, if if Phoenix decks start to get popular in this format, especially with the way the format's going, um, you can start playing you know some number of clean to dust main as well, and like have that as something that you know you can get some value out of your graveyard and it answers to Phoenix. Yeah, Cling like is a so. nice, nice. There's there's a couple anti Phoenix card or cards that are good against Phoenix that have been printed recently. Cling is one. Uh, Skyclave Apparition, a great one for just yeah, you know, making sure it doesn't come back. Um, though you know you can at least like shock that and get get your four four. But uh, yeah, no the that that's a good point. Cling will if if Phoenix decks rise up, Cling is definitely a card that that can become more popular. Um, honestly, you know I'm actually kind of mad that they they allowed. Um, Inquisition of Kozilek, like, because they keep not giving the, like, good one-man interaction from the other colors, and I think they're right to do that, but for some reason, Black just gets to have all of it. Like, they, they now have Thoughtseize, Inquisition, and Fatal Push. It's all of the cards that people play in Modern are just now there in Historic. Like, why does Black get everything? It, it, it's one of those things, so I started thinking about this overall. When I, when I saw this, you know, everybody freaked out, and, like, everybody had their opinions, like, oh, you're going to allow us to cast Brainstorm in this format and Fatal Swing in this format, but not Modern? Like, what does that make sense? And here's the thing. I think they're starting to think for, towards the future, and there's this idea that... I, I was jokingly saying that, like, Historic might be Legacy Light now with the way that some of this is going on. And if they see Arena being successful over the next five to seven to ten years, and this kind of stems from an interaction that I had with Jeff Hoogelin on Twitter where he was saying something about like, you know, pioneer being on arena. And this is really cool that this is happening because I think this is a good point that all these cards are getting added into historic. Now uh, they, so when pioneer comes on to arena, there is a definitive difference now between historic and pioneer. Cause a lot of people were talking about that. Like if you added pioneer to, to arena right now with the cards, it would just practically be the same. There would only be like, you know, some small minute differences with a few cards. And now you're looking at a giant difference. And I was like, jokingly like, you know, LOL pioneer on arena because like, I don't think it's a priority for them. I don't think they're doing it anytime soon. And he's like, Oh, they're going to do it, but he doesn't think it's going to happen until like 2025 or something. Like that. He thinks it's going to, you know, three or four years ago, three or four years from now. And I was, you know, we were hearing a year ago that it was supposed to be the end. They were planning for, you know, big stuff at the end of 2020. And here we are in 2021. We're not even hearing anything about it. So I think, you know, maybe what they're seeing in the future, and if they're thinking this far in the future with plans of this, I, I like this idea and where they're going with it, where they may be turning Historic into, like, the eternal legacy thing, right? Because Historic doesn't have, it doesn't technically have a stopping point. Like, Standard has a stopping point, right? Like, Pioneer has a stopping point. It's from, these, from this moment, from this moment. And then Historic is just everything. And so it would be the legacy of digital magic at that point i know that you can play legacy on mtgo but you got to try to say when arena is their flagship baby like you know they put more resources into this than everything else combined this is going to be their non-rotating cool format um we don't have to get into how predatory this is for the for the secondary market yet again because all these cards are like rare and mythic and you have to like craft them you like can't really i don't think you can get these out of packs i don't know there's some weird stuff about packs for this set. I don't know how it's going to look on Arena, but in real life, you can open some of these in pack. I don't know how this works. Anyway, um, I think you can open uh, the ones that are in the set. 
like itself. Like you can open those or something. I don't know. It's strange. I'll, I'll I don't know how any of this it. works. Yeah. yeah. You're going to have to craft gonna... some shit. They're going to take your yeah. money. Welcome to 2021. Like, yeah. And so it's, it's interesting. And to, and to see where all that goes from here. But like, I've got to believe that they actually want the format to be crazy and powerful because that's going to be it's it's and I hate to use this word. That's going to be its legacy. You know, that's going to be its defining characteristic. Then then why are they holding back things like lightning bolt? Right. If they want it to be at that kind of power level, maybe they're trying to figure it out. You know what I mean? Like maybe they're not ready yet to let Lightning Bolt. Because here's the thing: Lightning Bolt's there. It's it's gonna like it might even be on Arena. I don't know. Maybe they just don't even put these cards in Arena. But it's probably easy for them to just put Lightning Bolt later. You know, maybe they're like, uh, we don't want to add Lightning Bolt because it'll be too much right the second. We, we're gonna let the dust settle on this. They have to they have to conserve some stuff for later too, Ross. You I know, think like, you're giving Watsy to too much credit. To be honest, hey, I'm trying. Okay, I'm trying. I'm hoping this. It's it's possible. It's it's a it's it's a possibility. You know these things. So, and. I gotta say this too. One of the reasons I think they didn't do Lightning Bolt is I don't know if they want to burn deck in Historic just yet because like Lightning Helix is one of the cards in this. So you give Burn Decks Lightning Bolt, Lightning Helix, you know, they're one more one drop away from just being a burn deck. Yeah, you know, I guess. I don't know. Maybe that's a thing. Um, you know, you heard me just mention Lightning Bolt. There's a there's a bunch of other cards that are like super interesting interesting that are coming into Historic from here. Lightning Can we talk Lightning. about the actual new one? Sure. The one, have you seen this one? The one that's technically in Modern Horizons 2? Uh, what's that? Abundant Harvest. Uh, which when, one is this one? When you were talking about Inquisition of Calls, like, oh, I thought you were this, talking about this. Because this is the is actual the green cantrip. card? Yeah, the yeah. green cantrip. Okay. This is this is really cool. So it's a, a single green sorcery. Uh, choose land or non-land. Then reveal cards from the top of your library until you reveal a card of the chosen kind. Put that card into your hand and the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. So this is effectively a, a green cantrip. Uh, but I think it's designed in a way that makes sense with the color pie. I think spreading these kinds of cantrips around makes sense. Uh, you know, red has gotten, um, you know, I keep thinking Warlord's Fury, but what Crash Through is the one that people actually play. Um, and and the, now gr green is getting in on it. And this one is pretty cool because it offers some card selection. You know, cantrips are, are known for being things that let you, you know, cheat on your land count and they help you find lands. This is a, a cantrip that will never miss. If you need to find a land, your second one, like it's not going to miss. Yeah, this is also important because this made me think of another thing that I wanted to talk about. And I'm glad that we're talking about it now. This is another card that pairs well with Brainstorm. You can help clear your Brainstorms uh, here or just make sure that, you know, you turn through your deck even faster if it's all cards that you want to keep. Because uh, I was talking with uh, Scooter earlier today. Uh, Eric Johnson, and we were talking about, you know, stuff that's cool. And he had an idea for Brainstorm and Historic that I haven't seen anyone else talk about that I thought was really, really good. And this might be the card that makes Aetherworks Marvel playable. Because uh, for obvious reasons, it's good with Aetherworks Marvel, right? Like if you have one of, like, cause have you ever played the Marvel decks and you like, your hand on turn four, when you're about to spin, you have like three, you had like three Immercoles in your hand or three legs or whatever, you know, whatever your big payoff is. And you're just like, well... I'm probably going to hit some random thing now, like not my payoff. So now you can brainstorm put them back. But Attune with Aether is also a very good uh, shuffle mech yeah. for this card. Uh, Fable Passage goes pretty well with Aetherworks Marvel. It helps give you energy. So a lot of small synergies here. And this is something you and I have talked about. You know, uh, we've we've referenced that article a lot where, you know, Jerry talked about he's like Aetherworks Marvel is the next big thing at Pioneer. And it never really worked out. It's never really hit on Historic at the level that people were hoping and worried about. And maybe it's time. Like, you know, maybe this is something you can do because 
turn four, do a big busted thing, or turn three, do a big busted thing, that's pretty powerful in this format, and that's on par with, like, you know, the, the decks that are trying to nut draw you in this format. And, like, if you can get maybe, you know, like, that, that green card as well, you know, you just have eight one-mana green cantrips that churn through your deck. Uh, you know, you'd almost always be naming land here, but it helps clear your deck, you know, make sure you're making your land chips, make sure you're getting through your deck as much as possible. And I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of digging the idea of it. You know, I'm intrigued at least when I hear it. I, I, th I think this is a good card. You know, I, I think about the cards, like, you know, compare it to Opt, which is sort of our baseline for cantrips right now. Uh, you know, the, the selection that you get from Scry 1 seems worse than the selection you get here. Yeah. You're like, I need a land. I need a land. And sometimes Op misses. Yeah, so you've you got two hits to, to find it in. Abundant Harvest is 100%. If you want it to be, it's going to hit a land. And then when you draw it late, you know, when you cast Op, it's like, okay, I hope the card I need is in the top two. I think that, you know, if say I'm looking for a four of that I have left in my deck. I haven't found a copy yet. You know, like, you know, uh, Emergent Ultimatum or something like that. I've, I've drawn it late. I've got plenty of mana. And I cast Abundant Harvest. Like, I name non-land. Now you're, you know what, four out of, like, 30-something to to find the card? You're, like, one... That's, like, one in eight? Like, that's really high, as opposed to hitting, two, you know, the top two cards or something off of Opt, maybe top three cards off of Brainstorm. Um, I, this card seems very strong to me for a cantrip. It's in a color that normally doesn't get things like this. I guess Green's gotten, like, Adventurous Impulse. Um, and Which Oath, is also in this. Yeah, Oath of Nyssa. So Green has gotten some cantrips. Uh, but this one is seems very strong to me. I think it could work in an Arclight Phoenix deck as well. We could see, you know, Teamer Phoenix and just get that like that many more one mana cantrips uh, in your deck. Um, you know, playing the land grant function that it did in Legacy, kind of. Yes, essentially. The, this this card seems really really mm -hmm. good to me. I think it's one of the cards that you know you you look at and you can kind of miss how much of an impact it, you know what I mean? You can kind of overlook it. Like you read it and you're like, yeah, fine. And then later it's like, remember the first time you read a tune with Aether and you didn't know how good energy was going to be or how like that card got banned. You know, like, it was <laughs> that, that good. got banned. Yeah. So um, I th I'm not saying this card's going to get banned, but like, I, I think that every time I see cards like this, I'm like, yeah, these are generally very, very good. You know, these have very high impacts on the games in which they happen because it just adds more consistency to your deck. Right. And is Once Upon a Time legal and historic? I do not think so. You don't think so? Okay. I was yeah. going to say, I was just thinking about like more good, you know, cheap <laughs> green stuff that you can do. Just based off the fact that I haven't seen it in a deck, yeah, <laughs> I'm going to say no. <laughs> yeah, it's probably not. So that was a that was another thing that, you know, you know, popped in my head. But I don't know. I'm looking at this list of the cards, and there's a, there's a lot of them in here that are just like cool, right? You know, like re reprints or... Can you imagine right. if Once Upon a Time and, like, Gitaxian Probe were legal and modern and, and Faithless Looting? And you could do things like, yeah, Once Upon a Time is my first spell on turn one. Find a Phoenix. Probe you. Okay, Faithless Looting. Discard two Phoenixes because I had another one. Attack you for six. six. Yeah. Just my, just my normal turn one. Yeah, just normal. But, I'm, you know, I'm looking at this I'm looking at this list, and there's a lot of cards in there that are, A, really cool, right? You know, you're going to have cool, new-looking versions of cards, or ones that are going to have impact. Like, you know, we mentioned Lightning Helix. Like, Compulsive Research is a card that, like, you know, is, is, is a cool card. It might show up somewhere. I'm not sure. There's some other stuff. Um, Chaos Warp is in this. And for people who don't know what Chaos Warp does, it's, uh, it's two in a red instant. It says, the owner of target permanent shuffles it into their library, then reveals the top card of their library. If it's a permanent card, put it on the battlefield. It's just really good red removal. It doesn't work 
with brainstorm. Like you can't, you know, brainstorm something and then warp and then hit it, thankfully. But another, you know, cool card. Uh, Stone Rain is now a legal card in Historic. Like actual, actual Stone Rain. Um, mana Tithe. Everyone remembers now the first time they get language. mana. Yeah, everyone remembers the first time they get mana tithed. And so this is a card that's possibly going to have... Here's a card that I'm excited about because I remember when this card was good enough for Modern. And it's been a while, but Electrolyze is in this format. And if if it's relevant in the format, like if, if cards are good enough... I mean, I, I mean if, if it's good enough at killing things, I, I mean, I'm, I'm in on this card and well, casting it. But PV registered Elves in the historic portion of the Call Time Championship this weekend, so... <laughs> that, that's a pretty good matchup to have Electrolyze against if that deck uh, sticks around. I'm pretty low on Electrolyze mo- mostly, but it, in the matchups where it's good, it's really, really good. Uh, Primal Command? Yeah, this is, is a sneaky one. Yeah. Uh, it's pretty good in the fact that I can see this being an okay card in like almost every matchup. Like You have you can gain 7 life versus like aggro decks, and then you can you can time walk them on putting something on top of their deck, or you can search your library for for a uh, a creature card that that's important, or shuffling your opponent's graveyard is going to be relevant too. And a lot of against you know the Phoenix matchups, any of the other kind of matchups, you get to kind of get some extra value off this card. So I think this is a sneaky one that could be relevant. It uh, definitely um, one I'm not seeing a lot of people talk about, but you know this is a card that is seen play in modern, right? So I, th- I think it very clearly you know above the the bar for entry into a format like Historic, uh, and definitely excited to see what people do with it. I'm trying to think of, like, what the best six drop to find off of it would be, because that's uh, the natural curve. Yeah, well, there's also just some good five drops. You can get, like, Elder Gargaroth, or, yeah, or like, Thrag Tusk or something, you know, like, just just some, something along those lines. Um, other cool ones, and this one's going to be a chase card and extremely expensive, but this is, uh, and it might not even be big for this format, but just in, in, in general, Teferi's Protection is getting reprinted here. And it's one of the best white commander cards printed ever. Uh, it's extremely expensive, the normal version of it. So this is like an extra version of it. And the, the artwork is quite amazing. It's great. Uh, Ephemerate is another card that's getting uh, it's getting printed here. Because I, I don't think that one was legal. I'm not 100% on that. I have to go check. No, that's, a, mo- that's a Modern Horizons card. Yeah, Putrefy is in this. And... I'll keep going down the list, but this next one is one that we're going to talk about a little bit because this one's cool. And uh, this is a -a one-of-a-kind magic card, and I'll say why in a second, but Mind's Desire is in this set. So we're getting a new ability from the set getting put into Historic because this card has Storm. And so for some of y'all that may only play the newer sets, Mind's Desire is a four blue-blue sorcery. It says shuffle your library, then exile the top card of it. Until end of turn, you may play that card without paying its mana cost, Storm. Now, Storm is a trigger that happens when you cast the spell. It counts all the other spells you've, you've cast this turn, and then it copies the spell that many times, right? So all spells that you've cast previously to Mind's Desire, by the way. So right. if, like, you fight a counter war over a stifle with the Storm trigger on the stack, your your ca- the counters that you use in that counter war won't contribute to Storm. Right. It's uh, triggers. It, it happens when you cast it. Mind's Desire is... I'm pretty sure it's still the only one, but I know at the time when it came in, it was the only card to come into existence restricted in Legacy. Or, I'm uh, sorry, in Vintage. Vintage. Yes, yeah. yes. I believe like, it's the only card yeah. to, that, to hold that distinction. I remember that happening. I remember um, there were some people that used to play Vintage that would come to the, the store that I played at uh, back in the day, and they when Mind's Desire was previewed uh, in Scourge, they built, you know, one of them built a storm deck with it, 
and that I was just watching them play. It was messed and it up. Was I'm sure, right? Unbelievable. Yeah, like, I'm sure it was just utterly messed up. Yeah, yeah. The game. They did not have to. They did not kill past turn two. It was turn one or turn two every game. Now I would be remiss if we didn't talk about two other cards along with this one: Tendrils of Agony and uh, Grape Shot. Both got previewed along with this. So here are win conditions along with Mind's Desire. Super important. I've seen a lot of people already messing around with this because you have both of the uh, storm-enabling creatures. You have Baral and Goblin Electromancer are legal in this format. But you don't have any rituals. That's the thing. It's like some people were talking about, like, you have to make... Well, here's the thing. The the cards they're casting at cheaper costs are the cards like... Uh, there's like three or four different versions of them in, like, red, where it's, you know, like two and a red, draw two cards, discard a card, make a treasure. Okay. So... Yep. And then there's the three, the four mana one that makes two treasures. Right. Yeah, so like you're, you're only coming out a, a little bit behind on mana. Yeah, because the dark ritual is not legal and stuff like this. But I've seen some some ideas and some people messing around with it. And it's, I think it matters how quick or slow the format is, you know, for, for this to be playable. But it's at least something cool, right? You know, like we've seen, you know, people love this deck. You know, you think of. Uh, you know, some very big storm aficionados that only play it in Legacy or only play it in Modern and only play this deck. And so, like, now you have that kind of option of a deck, possibly, in Historic. Yeah, I don't... So, the question is, like, what what is your mana engine going to be? And to me, I think you want... I was thinking, are there any sort of Mana Flare-esque effects in Historic? I think there might be some creatures that do it. I'm not sure if there's, like... I'm just yeah, I'm, I'm just sure. looking at things. Vernal Bloom, Mana Flare, both not in it. Um, what are some of the Heartbeat of Spring? That's probably not in. Yeah, so like I'm looking at a deck list that somebody posted, right? And uh, Caleb Caleb Sure obviously was looking at this, and the, the deck list reads like this. It's like Baral, Goblin Electromancer, Opt, Seize the Spoils, Pirates Pillage, Mind's Desire, Thousand Year Storm. That's one. There we okay. Go. Uh Brass's Bounty, and then, like, you know, some Seagate Restorations, some Depths of Desires, uh, some Pirate's Prize, and then they're usually using Expansion Explosion as well in this, so you can start copying stuff. So now you're actually, you can be you can be almost gaining mana off getting through your deck. Off yeah, of like you know, like, when you Mind Desire, you like you hit the four mana uh, Tormenting Voice that makes two treasures and an Expansion Explosion. Like, you, you cast it you, for free. The first one for free, you copy it for free. You mm-hmm. get four treasures, you draw four more cards. Uh, Find a grape shot. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Maybe that's the way to do it. That's that's an interesting way. I, I was skeptical. Like, I I also looked up and saw that Baral and Electromancer were legal, but then I was like, but what are you what are you doing with them? I didn't think about those uh, those treasure making tormenting voices, but that's a really cool way to do it. And and that that's going to be the trick to this deck is like, what is the mana engine? Because you have you have everything else. You have a couple of good cantrips. You have Mind's Desire is really powerful. You have whatever storm you know wind condition you want, whether it's tendrils or grape shot. Um, a, there's a fourth storm card, by the way. That they they put weather the storm in, in this collection. That well. was gonna be the next card that I brought up. Is weather the storm is yeah. in the set. Uh, yeah. but that there's uh, that's an interesting way to to do the mana. And if, if somebody figures that out, like Mind's Desire is a busted card. This is a card that saw uh, it was legal and extended for a while. There was the if you remember that Desire deck with uh, I do I do Cloud of Fairies and Snap, and they would play you know uh, what what was it? Uh, Sapphire Medallion. Two yep. mana artifact that reduces the cost of your blue spells by one, and Sunscape Familiar, yeah, which is creature, a two mana yeah. O three that also reduces the cost of your blue spells by one. 
So that was sort of their brawl in Electromancer, and then they cast Snap and and Cloud of Fairies generated mana that way, and would cast, you know, a Mind's Desire for like six, and that usually won the game, because it would hit another Mind's Desire, that one would be for like ten, and that would hit another Mind's Desire for like fifteen, and you know, that it, it would kill them. It, it, if you're somehow not dead yet, that one will definitely yeah, kill you. Ch- chaining Mind's Desire is, uh, it's messed up, so... Uh, it'll be interesting to see if somebody figures that puzzle out because that is a, a potential you know deck that could warp the the meta game for sure. People are going to be trying a lot, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, I, I, I know, do you... think Ephemerate is one not to overlook. I know uh, you know Aspiring Spike has been doing some cool things with that card because he loves it in modern. Um, you know, there's he's been he's got this like Bant Ephemerate control deck, and now he's playing this uh, Soul Herder. Um, inverter uh combo deck uh all of which use ephemerate you know thraman inspector is uh is coming to historic uh that's a nice nice early creature to blink with it so be it's just a powerful card because it's so cheap at what it does all of blossoms is in the format too so you have a good you know cantrip two drop that can block aggressive decks too yeah it's very frequently just a one mana divination yeah and sometimes it's better than that so, yeah, and if, know. you know, I don't know if Acidic Slime is legal, but, you know, there's some matchups where you want something like Acidic Slime and Primal Command, and you're sort of ephemerating and, you know, doing all that all over again. Like, I don't know if Eternal Witness is legal. We can, we can keep playing the game, is this card legal and historic? Because I don't know half the time. Um, you know, there's definitely some reprints in here of cards that are already in historic or, you know, we, we've known it ever. But another one that is interesting, and, like, I'm not saying it's going to be great or anything, but, the, like, the last one I want to talk about is time warp is going to be put into this format too oh yeah this is i saw a deck list earlier today on uh on twitter that looked nice uh it was um because mystic sanctuary is legal yep so you just get to go off and i'm mystic trying sanctuary to and the green blue planeswalker from war of the spark um itamio tamio yeah, I was gonna yeah say it was which is a great way to clear your brainstorms by the way yep i yep. just thought about that too <laughs> <laughs> uh so yeah it was from uh it's it's the list i saw was from mason clark uh, did you see very this? Very smart, very smart magic player. Yeah. yeah. So it's Growth Spiral, Brainstorm, a couple Harmonizes, which is another card for, from this collection, Regrowth, another card that's in this that's going to be added to Historic, uh, Tamiyo, Teferi Master of Time, Nissa Who Shakes the World, and then four Time Warp, four Allruns Epiphany, Search for Ascanta, and a mana base with, you know, Mystic Sanctuaries, uh, definitely playing Breeding Pool, a couple Ketria Triomes. Because you definitely, this deck really values having lands that are both forest and island, because you need islands for Mystic Sanctuary and forest for Nyssa. Um, But, you know, really, really cool looking list, because you have a bunch of Planeswalkers, which go really well with all the time warps. You have Searcher's Canta, which go great with all of them. Uh, A little bit of ramp. I would honestly like to see Explore in this deck as well. I just want to get to five mana as quickly as possible. Um, But this deck looks sweet. Yeah, just, you know more cantrips get through the deck find lands lots of cool stuff going on there um speaking of more cool stuff have you seen some of the spoilers for strixhaven i have seen all of them tannin all right it's we're getting getting, yeah we're getting quite a few (laughs) i'm gonna tell you this overall the cards that have been spoiled so far i haven't been too you know there hasn't been a card yet where i'm like oh yeah you know like there's some cool stuff going on yeah they they look relatively underpowered for sure i think they're trying to save it right like they're probably gonna give it to us like next week when it's not we're not talking about the the mystical archive cards you know they kind of want to like let them have their their day in the sun i mean they've previewed some like pretty flagship sort of these are the cards that are going to sell the set we've seen three planeswalkers the entire cycle of commands the entire cycle of deans this legendary you know double-faced creature cycle 
and one of the Elder Dragons, and there I think there's going to be a cycle of Elder Dragons, one for each of the enemy color combinations. Uh, and we've also seen the one of the premier cycles of Uncommons, these Apprentices, and like none of these cards jump off the page to me as obvious constructed staples. Actual yeah. none of them. Yeah, and that's, that's kind of what I'm getting at. And I will say this. While I might not be excited about that, what I am excited about is the way it looks like Magic and Standard is going. It looks like we're going a little bit slower, you know, and into a format. And I said this to a friend the other day. I don't remember if it was you or whatever. That And they laughed. I was like, I can't wait to play in a format again where I can cast a sorcery on turn four or five and not die immediately. <laughs> because that's what it feels like magic has been the last couple of years. You like cast a sorcery. Like you could cast concentrate or whatever on turn four in standard back in the day. And it was good. Nowadays you cast concentrate. And you're like, wait a minute. You tapped out and drew four cards. Like, yeah. All right. Well, you're dead. Like you didn't interact with me with my my you know my busted planeswalker whatever so like now I'm so far ahead you're dead you know kind of thing so I'm looking forward to a format where that kind of happens. Let's definitely talk about a few of these cards though. Um, one of them, I'm, the one I'm gonna start with is the one that I think triggered the most PTSD for most Magic players in a while, and that's that we got a Simic planeswalker at three. So I remember when I saw this card, it says one green blue. It's a planeswalker and it's a mythic. I immediately was like, "Oh shit, here we go again!" You know, <laughs> yeah. like kind of. Yeah, thing. It's like that that meme. Oh, here we go yeah. again. Well, here I, we like, go. Walk yeah, into I was, the alley. Yeah, I was like thinking about that, but uh, I think this one's cool. Uh, not absurdly busted. It seems like some, more of like a commander type card to me. But let me go ahead and read it off the, the read it off for the people at home. It's one green blue has two loyalty. It's a it's a Kazmina planeswalker. Uh, it does have a static, which seems to be pretty normal for most of the planeswalkers going forward, or at least in the set. It says each other planeswalker you control has the loyalty abilities of this Planeswalker, of Kizmina. Uh, plus two, scry one. Minus X, create a zero, zero, green and blue. Hold on, I, I have a very small version of this. So I can't read that word. Uh, a blue fractal creature token. Put X plus plus one counters on it. So you can, I like, didn't notice it. it was a fractal creature token. Have we? Have they Have they spoiled the art for the fractal creature token? I'm, I don't think so, because it would be attached to the... I clicked on it. Usually it's attached to it, so I don't think they have... And then it does have an ultimate, which is minus eight. It says, search your library for an instant sorcery card that shares a color with this Planeswalker. Exile the card, then shuffle. You may cast the card without paying its mana cost. So, um, you know, kind of powerful, but slow. Doesn't really defend itself. Um, what I'm looking for in a Planeswalker, something that the game doesn't revolve around, but could be good or powerful. I say it doesn't defend itself. Obviously, it can make a creature, but like the first time it makes a creature, it's not going to be good, you know? Yeah. It, this card reminds me of Nissa Stored of Elements. I said as much on Versus earlier this week. You know, if you remember that one, you know, the, the idea was to cast it at X equals one, you know, scry, then you're, you know, draw your card with its minus ability on the next turn. You're effectively, you know, just drawing a creature that you're casting with, with this Kazmina. And that, that card just didn't see play. And it scaled, you know, into the late game at six, eight mana. It, it could become really powerful. Kazmina doesn't even do that. The thing that it can be kind of exciting is that static ability. And I keep trying to think of like, you know, how to how to pair that. You know, in modern you could play like turn two Ren and six plus the Ren, then play Kazmina and minus three your Ren and immediately make a three three. And that's kind of cool. But like, is that something you're in like is that that would be cool if we were playing like standard, right? But that's not at a power level that's gonna do anything in modern. And we're certainly not gonna get Ren and Six in modern anytime soon. So um or in standard, I mean. Like a lot of people are saying, this is a good a good card with Ren and Six, you know, depending on what format you're yeah. playing. But I, well, I like Ren and that. Six is just a great card by itself, so it do, it doesn't need any help. Really, it's just like you know, Ren and Six. Ren and Six is just a great card, so it makes other cards look good. So, but you know, yeah. you'd be better off pairing Ren and Six with something else that's better uh, by itself. So, uh, quick, yeah. a, quick, 
quick aside on Ren and Six. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Quick aside on Ren and Six. I still remember when it first got previewed, and everybody's like, "Oh, this card in lands, and this card in this in modern." And I immediately went to like the uh, what do they always call like the Delver Cabal? You know, like the the, the groups where all the you know the players play. And I immediately was like, "If you don't put Ren and Six in your Delver decks, I have lost respect for you as a player." And we talked about it. You know, I'm like, "It's a win condition. It's a, just a good card. Like, it's good with wasteland. You know, it helps you know perpetuate. It helps like." you know, keep doing the strategies you're doing, and it ended up being good, but I still remember the first time I played it in Legacy, it was me, you, and Brennan at a team event, and, you know, you're doing your thing, and Brennan's doing his thing, and it was, like, our first round, I drew my opening hand, I'm like, well, you know, good test, you know, first round, have it in my opening hand, I thought it was gonna be good, and I was going first, and I go, like, turn one, whatever, ponder, delver, whatever, and my opponent goes, planes, mother of runes, go, and then I just played Ren and Six, and killed their, killed their mother runs, and I saw them, and you, you know this look, right when the opponent uh, yeah. is just like not only did i just get blown out but they look at their hand and i'm like they they don't have anything that stops this card in their hand yeah like they're just they're, they're looking at their hand and it's like holes. swords to plowshares thalia flicker wisp and they're just like yeah. oh god no just, yeah, i literally can't win anymore right <laughs> and so like and it, it, the other sick thing is like, i'm not even sure but it might have been off of a caracas and i might have had a wasteland so i was gonna be like all right wasteland you get it yeah. back you know like, like, their wasteland you know? suck because you just revive all your lands every turn yeah yeah and so like I remember I just looked at you. I was like, "Man, I think this card is going to be pretty damn good." You know, we all knew it was going to be good, but the first time you put it through the paces, I was just like, "That is unreal." Yeah, so we saw the completely you know, saw the wins the game. Episode. Yeah, it was just it was so good the whole weekend. But speaking of planeswalkers, there was another one that was previewed right at the same time, and this one this one caused a little bit of a stir on the MTG uh, finance market. For those of you who liked our last episode, uh, this is Professor Onyx. Which, by the way, it's really nice. I don't know if you've seen the artwork of this card. It's really nice that Angelina Jolie decided to show up in the Magic Universe. It yeah, I mean, like we've Angelina been doing Jolie. so many uh, you know, crossovers. I figure Tomb Raider is somewhere on that list. Yeah. Um, so this is a legendary Planeswalker. It is a Liliana. So it's like I think it's the first Liliana that doesn't actually have the name Liliana, which is really cool that they made this change recently so they can do stuff like this. You know? Yeah. Um, but this one has uh, one of the new keywords from Strixhaven as its static ability. It's uh, Magecraft. Every time I see it, I think Metalcraft because it looks just like it. And it starts with M and it's like similar length. But that ability says whenever you cast or copy an instant or sorcery spell, each opponent loses two life and you gain two life. So pretty powerful static attached to this Planeswalker here. Um, it starts out with five loyalty. It's plus one. You lose one life. Look at the top three cards of your library. Put one of them in your hand and the rest into the graveyard. Hey, this is good with Brainstorm, but, you know, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Uh, minus three. Each opponent sacrifices a creature with the greatest power among creatures that the player controls. Very good sack mech out of Liliana. The fact that it's just going to always get their biggest creature. That's pretty relevant. Um, minus eight. Each opponent may discard a card. If they don't, they lose three life. Repeat this process six more times. So very Liliana-like in the fact that it's like this Punisher mechanic type thing. I'm going to go out on a limb and say this. Unless the format drastically slows down... And we get these decks where, like, we can play stuff like this. I don't see this having a huge impact on Standard. Because, like, we've seen these very powerful six-mana Planeswalkers before, like Liliana and stuff. And they just never seem to cut it. Yeah, uh, I agree that for right now, this is not a card I, I would look at. But I do think this card is powerful enough to see play during its life mm -hmm. in Standard. This is one oh, of the yeah. ones that I think you got to file away until October. But it it's cut out of that mold of, you know, of five-mana Planeswalkers. The, the Obnixilis Reignited mode. You know, plus one, draw a card, minus, you know, two or three, kill something, and minus, you know, a million, uh, win the game. This one costs six, which is kind of rough, but it has higher starting loyalty, it has the extra Magecraft ability tacked on, 
and its removal ability is quite good. You know, Crackling Doom was a, a standard staple in its day, and its draw card ability is quite good. You know, this is a strategic planning, or whatever the black version, Ransack the Lab, that you're getting. Uh, so sometimes you're going to generate an extra card, putting escape cards in your graveyard with the plus ability, you know, or, or something else that you can access from there. Other, But, you know, either way, you're going to get the best out of the top three. Uh, so very good plus ability. This is definitely, you know, just a classic mold of a Planeswalker that should see play at some point, but I agree that the format right now a little bit too fast for it. Now we're going to have a little fun here, Ross. Um, do you remember the cycle of cards? I, I think it was from around the Onslaught time. It might have been the Onslaught block. I, I forgot which set. But the uh, they had, there was a chain of something in every color. Like it was Chain of Vapor. Yeah, the, you know. these are from Onslaught. It was an uncommon cycle. So the blue one was Vapor. The red one was Plasma. Um, the black one is Smog. Um, and I don't remember the other two. It's not important. Not important, because you, you, you named the important one. Can you guess how much a chain of smog would cost you on TCG player right I'm now? I'm going to go mid. We'll go TCG mid. Whatever. Take a guess. I'm going to say $15. Yep. They are $15 a piece. Bam! If you, if you put a Professor Onyx in play and target yourself with a uh, w- with that card, chain of smog, your opponent is dead. Presumably, they might I mean, they might have a platinum angel. You never know. You know, you know <laughs> yeah. But like they're just dead, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a, this it's kills a multiple people too. If you have commander, it just kills the whole table. So uh, that card went from like you know like a fifty cent random uncommon to like fifteen over over overnight with this card. Yeah. In, 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 I just in, think in uh, there was a of a, a five row box of random old commons and uncommons that I had that I literally just left in my dorm when I graduated college in 2010 and I'm, I'm sure there was a good amount of onslaught cards because I drafted that set that block a lot. I probably had, you know, 10 or 15 chain of smogs in that box. I got rid of probably 15,000 cards recently as bulk. I can't tell you how many of those were in there. We drafted the crap out of that set and I got other people's stuff from there. Um, other than that, I'm looking at some of the the, uh, the previewed cards. There is a red and blue, uh, like, flip, pla- you know, I say flip Planeswalker, one of the ones where you can, you can cast yeah, either side. double-faced. I'm not super excited uh, by these, but, I mean... The, the will side, I think, is, again, in that, like, five-mana mold. You know, it, it kills stuff, it draws cards, you get the, you know, it has a pretty good ultimate. It's a little bit weaker, I would say, but the, the static is nice, and then... The Rowan side is pretty bad on its own, but in a, in a control matchup, I would say the Rowan side is pretty good. Like it, it, it puts a little bit of pressure on them. The the minus four is going to be quite good. Obviously, the the static is good. So in any sort of control matchup, uh, that card that side of it is going to be valuable. So I see this as as kind of a role player. Uh, definitely better. I think Kazmina is the worst of the three. Yeah, and so I'm pretty excited by these and the fact that. I'm not dreading playing against them is what I'm trying to say. You know, you're not like, oh, this is going to warp every game they play in. And for everybody at home, uh, the red side is Rowan, Scholar of Sparks. It's two and a red. Uh, the static that it, uh, Ross is referring to is instance and sorcery spells you cast cost one less. Um, it's a Planeswalker of two loyalty. Plus one is this deals one damage to each opponent. If you've drawn three or more cards this turn, it deals three to each opponent instead. And then minus four, it's, you get an emblem. Whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, you may pay two. If you do copy that spell, you choose new targets. The other side of it is a five mana. That's four and a blue. Planeswalker with four loyalty. Same static. Your stuff's cheaper. This one has three abilities. 
Uh, the plus one, like Ross mentioned, kind of defends itself. It's up to one target creature, has base power, and toughness zero is a zero two until your next turn. The minus three is draw two cards, and the minus seven is exile up to five target permanents. For each permanent exile this way, its controller makes a four four blue and red elemental creature token. So, um, like like you said, I don't think either card either side is like this is busted. I always want to be doing this. Maybe there's a deck that kind of does, but possible solid role player here, flexible in a deck that can cast both ends. Obviously, I would assume every deck this in could cast both ends unless you really, really, really want a very specific thing in your deck. So uh, very interesting. I like it. Um, don't see it warping the format, which that's what I want out of my Planeswalkers. I don't want someone to cast a Teferi on me and me be like, all right, well, I have to deal with this over the next three turns, and then I'm probably still going to lose, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. So yeah, definitely not uh, nothing overpowered here. So uh, moving on from the Planeswalkers, uh, we do have one of the Elder Dragon cycle. Uh, so it seems like each house, I think, has an Elder Dragon for whatever reason. Who the fuck knows? Uh, <laughs> but the, the Orzov one has been spoiled, and that is Shadrick's Silver Quill. So a 2-5 for three, a white, and a black. Legendary creature, Elder Dragon, has flying and double strike, so really kind of a 4-5. Um, and then it says, at the beginning of combat on your turn, you may choose two. Each mode must target a different player. And the three modes are target player creates a 2-1 white and black inkling creature token with flying. Target player draws a card and loses a life. Or target player puts a plus one plus one counter on each creature they control. I think this card is sweet. Yeah, definitely really sweet. Obviously, you know, going to be an interesting one for um, for Commander right? Uh, you get to play a lot of politics with it. In Constructed, the rub here is that third mode. Target player puts a plus one plus one counter on each creature they control. Because in a lot of games, that's the one that is most likely to do very little for, for your opponent. You know, getting a token and drawing a card are always, almost always going to be good. Sometimes you're going to target them to draw a card and to try to, you know, cut your clock down by a turn or something, deal that last point of damage, uh, right? And But Putting a plus one plus one counter on you know their creatures if they have one creature that's irrelevant or, or nothing even uh, you know means that you're just getting free value on your combat and so you're playing a five mana you know a reasonably sized flyer that immediately makes a two one if they don't counter it or or kill it with an instant or you know immediately draws a cards if you are f fearful of a sweeper so this card seems reasonable to me against control decks um, not sure how effective it's going to be in you know aggro matchups where you've got to you know, you don't have to choose to. You could just play it as a big flyer if that's what you want to do. But that's, you know, five mana, two, five flying double strike is not going to cut it in standard. So you got to be playing it in a shell that is going to consistently be able to, you know, take advantage of the trigger. And, uh, you know, how, how bad is it going to be to like give your opponent a free 2-1 flyer so that you can draw an extra card or that so you can pump your team? Because, you know, pumping the, the Shadricks obviously is nice so that, you, you know, you can get in for double that amount of damage. So you're effectively giving two power to it. But definitely interesting in a deck that, you know, either, you know, or in control matchups or in a deck that potentially plays a lot of removal to try to keep your opponent's battlefield clear uh, and, you know, consistently choose that mode for them while you're just drawing a bunch of cards. So it's a card that can help you win attrition games, which is kind of nice. I also like that the tokens it makes insulate you against the common black sweepers that are around these days you know it makes even cmc tokens sorry mana value uh so that you don't over you know so that 
when they extinction event name awe to deal with the dragon they stay around if your opponent has shadows verdict it doesn't deal with the dragon even if it deals with all the tokens uh so you're never it's never gonna you know all get swept up by those those most common sweepers uh so this card ha- has some potential to me i think in, in the right shell where you can mitigate that third third uh, mode uh card looks kind of cool uh, before we get into a couple of the other cards, I do want to talk about one of the other new abilities that's in this set, and we're going to just, I'm going to talk about a card that got previewed, it explains the ability, and then what it's kind of going to do to this format, because I actually like it quite a bit, and that is there's a new keyword ability called Learn, which makes sense, you know, we're in a school setting type thing, it makes, you know, and I, I have a feeling we're going to, especially if we play Paper, you know, with these cards, we're going to be hearing a lot of, you're going to learn today, you know, meme type stuff or whatever, but... Uh, one of the first ones that, that caught my eye, because it was one of the first ones where the ability really got shown, was uh, Pop Quiz. You know, great name, again, school school theme. It's two and a blue instant draw card, Learn. Now, you may want to know what Learn is, obviously. So, Learn is, you may reveal a lesson card you own from outside the game and put it into your hand. Or, you discard a card to draw a card. So, this is pretty big, in my opinion. Uh, let's talk about the second part first. Discard a card to draw a card. Always pretty good and limited or constructed where, like, it's going to help mitigate Flood, right? Or help you find cards that are more important in the matchup and things. You, you have cards that either you want in your graveyard, A, or B, you just don't want in your hand, so you get to draw another card off this. So this becomes uh, two mana, I mean, sorry, a three mana instant, draw two cards, discard a card, right? You know, kind of thing. I also think it's important for, you know, situations where maybe you don't get a lesson card in your draft, but you can, then you can still play the learn cards and get a little bit of value out of it. Or if you're playing like three learn cards, but only have two lessons and you draw all three of them, you know, it's it's not going to be a completely dead trigger. So I think that's a really smart uh, design on Watsi's part is to add that second option to it um, so that, you know, you're all it's never you never run into that feel bad where it's just completely dead text. Mm-hmm. And let's talk about that first part, the kind of Ross is referring to here when you reveal a lesson card. We'll talk about some lesson cards here in just a second. I think this is pretty big, too. It's going to be hard to see this in Constructed. Like, I could see a deck in Constructed playing one of these cards, depending on what, you know, learn cards we get in the future and what lesson cards we get, um, with, like, a couple lesson cards in the sideboard. Because here's the thing. It takes up your sideboard slots, so you don't want to take up too many of those. But it is like having a wishboard, kind of, in game one. So if there's, you know, some good sideboard cards, whatever, in a control deck, maybe, you have this kind of thing. In Limited, I think this is busted. Especially the fact that you'll see some of these lesson cards might not be super high picks in Limited, unless you are going for the learn deck and that way you need to get enough playables and enough stuff to do. And it just makes all the cards in your deck better. Right. Yeah. I I do like what this mechanic does to the actual draft itself. You Mm -hmm. know, like how are you going to be trying to wheel the lesson cards? How much does their value change based on how many learn cards that you've drafted? You know, to me, it seems like the learn cards are the cards that you're going to take highly uh, because they're, they're at least, I think they're more effective without the lessons and um, you know, than the lessons are without the learn cards. And then you're right, like, the, if you're going to play a lot of them, you're going to need a lot more playables in, in your pool because the lesson cards are going to sit in your sideboard. Uh, really, really cool dynamic for limited, uh, and, and it'll be really fun. I, I might have to uh, peep in on some of your streams with this to see uh, oh, yeah. see how you, how you uh, navigate those waters. I'm going to go hard on it. Everybody who watches myself knows this is, like, my kind of magic. So let's talk about this for a second, because so far it seems like there's going to be learn in every color. That's not confirmed, but we've seen a lot of the different colors. So, oh, you know, that might be harder to get your, your lesson spells, right? Because you're in a specific color and you'd be able to cast yours. Not so. So far, the lessons that we're seeing, 
they're sorceries, they're instants, but they're colorless mana, and they're not devoid. So it's like the first time we're getting like colorless sorceries and instants that aren't like Eldrazi type spells. And let's, let's also talk about a few limited so that like you know you mm-hmm. can get lessons more easily and pick them up yeah. and not have them be dead. Though it seems like the really powerful lessons and the ones that you're going to see in constructed are going to have a color associated with them. I, I would assume, yeah. So, uh, like, the first one we have is Expanded Anatomy. It's just a three-mana sorcery. It says pl- uh, put two plus one plus one counters on target creature. It gains Vigilance until end of turn. This is a card that I would probably never play in a limited deck because the power level is, like, I think a little bit too low and the fact that you need a creature in play, like, blah, blah, blah. And, and, and obviously, there's situations where I would. If I had multiple reasons to have counters on my creatures in my deck, then obviously it's a thing. Yeah. I but, would play this card at also just an aggro deck with a lot of two drops. Where it, yeah, of course. You know, depending on yeah. the sizing of the format. Like, if two counters is enough to make it a, a substantial threat, and the removal's bad in the format, things like that. Yeah. But in general, this card, a little under par for a three-mana sorcery in the way that, you know, uh, standard works out. I mean, sorry, uh, limited works out. You want to be casting creatures and stuff. This getting tacked on to other cards that you just get to put this into your hand when you cast the other card, it's going to swing a lot of games. Because in limited, a lot of times, you know, if one person has to beat the crap out of the other person, turns, you know, three, four, five, and six, you're casting creatures. You might be jockeying for position, but generally you're looking at each other a lot, right? And the first person to play a breakthrough spell matters. So the first person to learn, you know, gets a little bit of card advantage, gets this, makes one of their creatures bigger than all the other ones, and starts attacking. You know, this, this, is, a, this is a pretty big uh, pretty big thing to be doing in limited. I think this card's great. It's really important. Uh, another one that's really, I think, I think there might be like a cycle of these, like the three mana sorcery ones, or there's might be a few like this. There's another three mana sorcery. that's a lesson. And it says scry two draw card. This is really powerful and limited when you add this on to some other card, because again, mitigates flood helps you find the lands maybe that you need or the exact spells that you need and gets the, and gets the draw. Yeah. Like, you know, I would compare finding an introduction to prophecy, which is a, the, this three mana sorcery, Sorry, yeah. uh, off a of learn to investigating. To creating a clue token, yes. right? Yes. You know, it's a, you're paying an extra mana to sacrifice the clue, right? And you're getting a scry two out of it. You know, pretty comparable. Obviously, you don't get the artifact synergies that sometimes come along with clues, but just in terms of raw value. And then, you know, think about, you know, Thrabid Inspector. This is, you know, a, a very good one drop that has made an impact in a bunch of different formats where one mana one two is laughably unplayable, even in, in limited, not just constructed. So tacking on investigate to even, you know, mediocre cards is pretty powerful. So you think about a card like Professor of Symbology, call us in a white 2-1 core cleric, so some relevant creature types there, when it enters the battlefield learn. You know, so you play your 2-mana 2-1 on on turn 2, and you find, you know, Introduction to Prophecy, and you cast that on turn 3. That came along for free. You're now up a card. You've set up your draws. You still have something on the battlefield, so you probably aren't getting run over by an opposing aggro deck. You know, like, mm-hmm. That looks like a really strong curve. Or you can find expanded anatomy off your Professor of Symbology, and you know maybe you curve out with other creatures. Maybe you just cast the anatomy on turn three, and now you get a four-three vigilance. You know that, and you didn't have to put this crappy trick in in your deck. You just yeah. got it for free out of your sideboard. So, you know, I, I think it, it's easy to underrate a card like Professor of Symbology. Like it's a two-minute two-one. You get kind of a, a bad card, but you get it for free. You know, so and, I think th- I think this is going to be a sneaky good uncommon for the set for limited, and is a card that maybe could impact constructed if there are some really good uh, c- cards to find. And you kind of beat me to this because I was going to say you say people might underrate this card. You think I-, I think this one makes constructed, and I think that it's possible depending on the lessons and if one really fit- fits a niche, this could actually show up in some older formats as well. Like I can I can see if a lessons if, if some lesson somewhere fits a specific niche that you know, uh, death and taxes needs, 
I can see them playing a copy of this card that just have access to it out of their sideboard in game one. And I like, you know, this is an Enters the Battlefield trigger, so it plays well with Yori and it plays well with Flicker Wisp, uh, you know, all those things. So, yeah, it could definitely be a card that you see in, like, modern or uh, in modern Death and Taxes or even Legacy. Uh, yeah, r- really cool. Even a card like Pop Quiz that, that you mentioned, two and a blue, draw a card, learn. That's a, like an instant speed divination. You know, divination has seen some standard play before. I have just I have done it a lot in standard. Yeah. And, I'll, and, like, this is a better divination, right? Like, you're guaranteed to get a spell that you probably want because you're built, like, uh, you know, this is all dependent on some of the lessons that we see. Uh, you know, I, I don't think some of the, I don't think these colorless ones are generally good enough for constructed, though environmental science is, is a little interesting. You know, two mana lesson, search your library, her basic land, reveal it, put it into your hand, and you gain two life. Um, so, you know, a, a sort of weak lay of the land effect at, at two mana, but can really help you know smooth out your draws a little bit if that's something you want gives you a little bit of life and then the the one lesson that we see that that is uh colored this is the one of the rare ones confront the past this is a pretty solid card to be able to wish for you know x in a black sorcery choose one you can either return a planeswalker card with mana value x or less from your graveyard to the battlefield so you know effectively wishing for a planeswalker or you can remove twice X loyalty counters from target Planeswalker and opponent controls. So, you know, kill a Planeswalker, get a Planeswalker, your choice. A pretty flexible card. Um, you know, if the, there's a good amount of Planeswalkers, that's a nice card to be able to wish for. You know, with your with your pop quiz, if your opponent, like, you know, plays their Planeswalker on their turn, resolves it, they're feeling good, you know, they activate it, they pass. You go end step pop quiz, draw a card, find confront the pass out of my, you know, uh, sideboard, kill it on your turn, you know, let's go. You got an activation out of your Planeswalker, I got an extra card out of my Pop Quiz, you know, uh, I think we're, you know, we're relatively even at this point, maybe even on a little bit, a little bit ahead, depending upon what you got out of the Planeswalker activation. I actually didn't even see that card was a lesson, <laughs> so I heard you referring to it, I was like, yeah, I hadn't seen, you know, some of the stuff, and like, yeah, I didn't see that, that one's a lesson, so that one's really cool. A couple other, like, random colorless ones, like, there's the five-mana introduction to Annihilation, and this one's an interesting one. It's a sorcery. It's a lesson. It says exile target non-land permanent. Its controller draws a card. I think this is pretty damn good in I, limited. I, I think this is going to be a card that, you know, uh, it's the card that's going to be the answer to the question, like, what non, you know, bomb do you most want to have in your sealed pool? And I think everybody's going to answer, like, I just want one of these to be able to find out of my sideboard with my learn cards to answer my opponent's bombs. Mm-hmm. And there's like a couple other, yeah, there's a couple other good enablers too along here. Like I'm just looking at some of these and, you know, the mana costs, like I think Field Trip's going to be one that people like a lot. It's a, it's a green one that's two and a green for a sorcery. It's a searcher library for a basic force card, put it on the battlefield tapped and then shuffle and that learns. So like this is okay, I think enough in some spots. If there's a ramp deck in standard, I can actually see this card getting cast a decent bit. With there being, you know, you just play like one or two of like the cantripy type scry two draw card cards, so you can find your stuff to cast, you know, stuff from there. I, I agree. I, I like field trip as as a learn card. I think the key for this is going to be: is there a proactive five mana lesson that you can find in green? You know, something that makes tokens. You know, we know lessons are a subtype of sorcery. They're all sorceries. Um, so you know, some sort of token maker. I, I don't know exactly like what, what it would be, like a Primal Command-style card, a Plow Under-style style effect, anything like that that you can ramp into um, w- would be pretty cool. Uh, so we're just going to have to wait and see. But the, like right now, like that's the stuff that I'm most excited. Like, what are the lessons? Is what I, I like. I don't care about the crazy mythics. What are the lessons? I think the Lord Mechanic yeah. is really cool. 
Uh, I want it to be good, and I I want to start building decks with it so we, we can start to see it in action. Yeah, so there's there's definitely some other cool stuff going on. There's a few other lessons we're not going to get into and stuff like that. Um, there's some cool creatures that have been previewed so far, like you said. Uh, like one that I think could possibly start showing up is, uh, let me make sure it makes it, I say this right, it's like Dragon's Guard Elite. It's a human druid, uh, one in a green for a 2-2, two, two, and it has Magecraft. It's whenever you cast a, a, cast a cast or copy an instant or sorcerer guard, you put a plus one, plus one counter on it, and then it's six mana, it just says double the number of plus one, plus one counters on it. So this is a card that, in the right decks, yeah, with some good tempo, or whatever, it's a, a good aggressive two drop in the fact that, you know, like you can play this on turn two, your opponent does whatever, you cast like a sorcery or an instant or something on three, attack them for three. If they don't kill this card, this is a threat to kill them as the game goes on, because at some point in time, it becomes, it goes from like a 4 4 to a 6 6, right? And then starts getting very, very big from there. So I think this is one of the ones that might show up as like a, a two drop in like as I a, a high spell hopes deck. for cards like this. And they like, never work out. Yeah, you want to like play the protect the queen strategy where you like play this yeah. in turn two, you untap, and you start, just start countering all your opponent's stuff, casting some ops, and you know, you play this, you know, grow, miracle grow kind of style. And it really hasn't worked recently. The removal is just a little bit too good. Uh, but you know, this one is somewhat interesting. There are some good cantrips, uh, and, and counter spells you can play it with. So, and it really is those style of decks succeeding is always less dependent on like the quality of the creature itself and more dependent on the, on the cards around it. So if we have a lot of good, cheap interaction, you know, maybe it can work. Snakeskin veil is a nice piece of protection if you want something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, also works really well because it leaves a plus one plus one counter behind so it's like you know some synergy stuff there yeah so definitely this is the kind of card that i will try to make work but i'm i'm at the point where i've i've accepted the fact that it probably won't yeah um every house has a it looks like an uncommon apprentice and they're all pretty cool but i actually want to really focus on one because uh, i think people might overlook this and how good this card actually is uh maybe not for constructed this card is going to be busted and limited and it's the blue green one i don't know the names of the houses yet um let me scroll up. I think I can find it. Wandrix. Uh, oh, I thought it was... Okay. I thought it was Vine Glimmer because that's the name of the land. But anyway. Anyway, sure. Oh, yeah. It's on the damn card. What am I... Yeah. Quandrix Apprentice. Whatever. Anyway. I'm dumb. So, uh, you know, it's a two, they're all two twos for their house mana. You know, blue-green. This one is Magecraft. So when you cast an Sorcery, look at the top three cards of your library. You may reveal a land card from among them and put it in your hand, but the rest in the bottom of any order. This reminds me of a card from way back in the day in Kamigawa Block. It was a little bit better in that version, even though it was a 2-1 for 3. And then it had, like, Soul Shift, and it was a Spirit. But it did this very similar thing. It's when you cast a Spirit Arcane spell or whatever, you know, wherever you did, you know, the, the the Magecraft of that set, it would do this. It would look at the top three cards of your library. You know, you put a land in your hand. That card was busted. And I don't think people will understand how good this is going to be in limited. The fact that it's just a 2-2 two, two for 2 with a very po- uh, positive ability. Make sure that you don't miss your land drops, just churning through your deck as much as possible. This card is very, very good, especially in, like, the learn decks. Yeah, so I'm excited I very for much this agree. one. I think, the, I think this card is good enough that it could see constructed play. I think it's the best of the five of the apprentices. The other ones all seem like, you know, they're all reasonable limited cards because they're grizzly bears with upside. Uh, but this one in particular uh, seems quite good. Yeah. Um, you may have heard me mention the lands. They finished off the cycle of, uh, what was it? What was the shadow. set of these lands? Shadows shadow. of Rimstruch. So yeah, finished the Shadowlands. Yeah, they finished the Shadowlands. So you're getting the, the blue-green, the black-green, the black-white, the red-white, and the blue-red. Uh, that is all the, the houses, right? So it worked yeah, out. Yeah, it's all, the houses are all enemy-colored. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, another keyword that comes up on a card here, just going to talk about it because it's a new keyword in the set. It's Ward. 
So uh, you may remember this. They're finally giving a name to a, a, an ability from like Kira, you know, the great glass spinner kind of stuff. So a creature would have like ward two. It says whenever this creature becomes the target of a spell or ability opponent controls, counter it unless they pay two. That's frost, right? so frost Titan ability. Yeah, Frost Titan, Kira, Great Glass Spinner. Uh, there's, Kira there's, just there's countered it in, straight up. Okay, sh- sure, sure. Uh, yeah, that, I would say that, sure. Uh, so, so that kind of ability from Frost Titan, there you go. That's a better one. Um, so that's something you're seeing that kind of tacked on to some of the creatures. Did any of the Deans really uh, step up to you? Because like, what we're seeing is there's flip cards in every one of the houses. So one side will be red and one side will be blue. Or one side will be blue and one side will be green. And they're generally each uh, like a creature or sorcerer that kind of work together with this stuff. Yeah, so each uh, each house has a dean that is a double faced, you know, creature where the it's one one side is uh, both sides are different colors, but it represents the two colors of that house. Uh, so there's a you know an Orzov one, a, a is it one, and so on. Um, the interesting thing to me is that the front side on each of them is pretty aggressively costed. You know, none of the front sides cost more than three, uh, and the back sides are are a little bit bigger. So it's sort of you know. I always like to see, you know, good, cheap creatures, and we have an entire rare cycle of them. Unfortunately, like, they don't look particularly good. I think the 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 is it one really does not look good. It's the most expensive one. And um, the Boros one, Plarg, like the the the, rever- the reverse side looks kind of cool. Augusta, Dean of Order, which is two and a white, one, three, human cleric. Other tapped creatures you control get plus one, plus zero. Other untapped creatures you control get plus zero, plus one. And whenever you attack, untap each creature you control, then tap any number of creatures you control. So you get a lot of control over combat. You know, you can give creatures vigilance if you want to. You can make sure everything is tapped if you need, if you just want to max out damage. You can leave things untapped if, like, they need that point of toughness to be able to get through your opponent's blockers. There's just a, and it's it's not just whenever the Augusta attacks; it's whenever you attack. So if you go like one drop, two drop this on turn three, you're going to get that trigger immediately on turn three, too. So I like the immediate impact. I like having control over combat uh, when I'm uh, an aggressive deck. So that side of the Boris one looks cool to me. But to me, it just it just reads like a mono white card where I'm just going to ignore Plarg or like maybe I'll play four pathways in my like mono white deck, <laughs> you know, though that they're usually playing Snowland. So that's probably not not great. Um, I was just about to say, I could see myself playing this in just a white deck. Yeah. Like, especially the mirror or something like a creature mirror where it's like important to have the, you know, your stats get buffed. Yeah, uh, I, I completely agree. The one that does stand out to me is the Orzov one. So uh, Shyly, Shale, I don't know, Dean of Radiance, one on a white, one, one, Bird Cleric, has Flying and Vigilance, and to tap, put a plus one, plus one counter on each creature that entered the battlefield under your control this turn. So, you know, it's, it's going to plink away in the air and just pump the rest of your team as long as it's living, uh, which is pretty cool. Uh, just a cheap, efficient creature. And then the, the reverse side, two block black, four, four. This is Embros, a Dean of Shadow, a human warlock. It says tap, put a plus one, plus one counter on another target creature. Then Embros, Dean of Shadows, deals two damage to that creature. So it can pick off your opponent's one toughness creatures, right? Because it can target them. Or you can start pumping your creatures and it says whenever a creature you control the plus one plus one counter on it dies, draw a card. So a nice, you know, uh, sweeper protection, especially if it's if you draw two copies of this and you like play uh, Shyly on two and some other creatures and Embros on four, right before your opponent is set to you know play a sweeper or something like that, uh, can be pretty cool. So that one seems good to me. But I do have a bone to pick with all of them, and here's my problem, Tannen. 
and we're going to get into a little bit of a rant. And it's that the cool things about this about this cycle is that it looks like they're slotting into two-color aggressive decks, right? Because then you get to use both sides. You mitigate the fact that they're legends because if you draw a second copy, you play, play whichever side you did play the first time. Uh, and you get to use both, and they like, tend to synergize with each other, which is really cool. But when was the last time you fucking saw a two-color aggro deck? Like, Gruul Adventures, I guess, works. But that's because the adventure cards are busted. Uh, and, like, their mana base is the worst part of the deck, right? And you just can't play two-color aggressive decks in Standard. They don't give you the mana to do it. So why give us the cards to do it and not the mana? It's just a big, giant tease. And, like, this other cycle of dual lands, it's kind of cool. This could help out aggressive decks because these lands enter untapped early, which is what you need. They could be a tilt late. Nobody, you know, everybody's heard my rants, uh, you know, if you've listened to the show for a while, my ranting about Port Town and the like, um, and how crappy they are relative to the other dual lands. But think about what the mana base is going to look like for a two-color aggro deck. You have the, uh, this cycle of lands, you have pathways, and you have Fable Passage, really, right? Yeah, and it's, well, that's Fable, not leading to great uh, curve outs. Yeah, Fable Passage and Pathway take away from your ability to have these lands enter untapped, so they don't synergize well with each other. Whereas, you know, you can reveal your Triome to make these lands enter untapped if you want to do that. So once again, people playing with fucking EDB tap lands get everything, and we, people trying to play good, honest, aggressive magic, get fucking nothing. Give us some good fucking dual lands to play two-color aggro decks. Mm-hmm. Holy fucking shit. Yeah. What definitely do, agree, definitely agree. What do they have against us? Like, there are temples in the format right now that barely see play. You've given them too many entrance of battlefield tap lands. They don't even want to play all of them. I forget that those cards are legal. That, like, yeah. you know, that kind of... Uh, the, 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 the temples in almost every color combination is actually legal and standard right now. I'm like, oh yeah, that's a, that's a thing that you can do right now, so grinds my gears tannin i just want to play it just makes me tired yeah, it just makes me tired like i'm thinking about it right now i'm just like it's like the 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 old man thing and like we and the thing we talked about earlier here we go again with this shit you know like, yeah. can, can we can we please wizards please wizards look at, please look at look at uh you know the golgari dean valentin and and lisette it would be pretty cool to like curve valentin and then turn five like play lisette attack with this lifelinker pay one you know when it connects and put a put a plus and plus one counter on on all of your creatures like that's nice do you think we can play a black one drop and a double green four drop in the same deck? Hell fucking no. Why in the world would you ever think you could do that? This is 2021. I do say think that Valentin will see some play somewhere, either standard, historic, whatever, blah, 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 because it's, it is a one black, uh, one, one menace lifelink creature, but the first text on it, it's kind of like a hate bear. And the fact that if a non-token creature and opponent control would die, exile it instead. So this does stop some some decks from functioning or them getting extra value of it going to the graveyard. So I think, do you think it's a card that could possibly show, but I mean, you have a bunch of other cards that do similar things. You would need to be like, I, I need a black creature type deck. Yeah. I mean, I've, uh, I've thought about trying to be like mono black aggro in standard with that, the two drop from the last set. That's a, a one, one. And when you play your second spell each turn, it gets two plus and one counters and gets menace mm-hmm. in a deck with a lot of one drops and um, the artifact that pumps Herald of Heraldic Banner. Uh, and like, you know, Valentin would be a reasonable one drop for a deck like that. Just having also, a little bit uh, of evasion. Shade might just be better than that card overall. That was like a problem that you run into, that kind of thing with building the decks. But yeah, I like, I like the idea, you know, you're onto something there, but 
you in in some people are like oh let's like splash one color to make it better i'm like how our, our lands don't don't cast yeah. anything i, I just yeah. look at at these cards and i see a bunch of like cheap multicolored creatures essentially if you count the deans as sort of multicolored and the apprentices there's like and that like this learn mechanic is put on some cheap creatures and i'm just thinking like yeah this all looks really cool and then i realize that the mana just doesn't work so we're just gonna sit here and play mono white and mono red against each other for the next six months anyway <laughs> absolutely absolutely all right Let's go ahead and save some of this, some more of this for the next week because I think next week we're going to have, I think, most of the spoiler, if not all of it. So we're going to have a lot to talk about there. And let's make sure we get some of the. Uh, we actually have an, uh, uh, I think we have a mailbag and some over underrated done this week because we haven't been keeping up with it as much as we need to. So let me, uh, okay. So this one's from Fuzzy Dean. They said this question comes from someone sorting and cataloging their MTG collection. Uh, when do you see your MTG collections as too big? And then um, you're th- okay. Go ahead and answer that one. If if I have a a single card that I am not using in my deck for that weekend, my collection is too big. I hate I hate uh, owning magic cards. For me, a more a more serious answer for you, Fuzzy Dean. It's not just a, a, a rumbling random old man. Uh, pretty much every time I move, I find my magic collection is too big, and I and you know <laughs> yeah. I I've been actually shredding down on a lot of stuff lately because I just have so much like bulk and shit that like you know I'm trying to condense all of it into like the stuff that i need like ross has seen me uh you know you know the patrick sullivan red box that he always brings everywhere it's like the box of all the burn cards and red cards he would ever need to play his deck in any format yeah ross knows that i have one of those as well for for like legacy and for like you know specific decks yeah, and stuff so, has the grixis delver box yeah it, and it can it could switch to other colors and stuff too um and they also ask your thoughts on how many paper decks you'd need to be prepped for format as a baseline honestly i think zero you don't have to have the paper decks if you can do any kind of testing online if this is the only way you're doing it it's too many is the answer yeah like it i i don't i just uh, that's just a weird question to me uh like you don't need you don't need to own the cards all the time to be prepped if you're asking like what how many decks you should be proficient in to feel prepared for a tournament like two is probably enough you should. You, I generally like to have some options, right? So that you, could, if the metagame changes against the deck, you you, you can have one uh, another option. But you know, don't feel like you need to you know own seven different decks for a format to feel like you're prepared. Hundred uh, percent agree. Real quick, uh, two cards just got previewed as more mystical archives. One Tezzeret's Gambit, so a card that wasn't in the format, and Tainted Pact. That's an interesting one. Yeah, so we'll let people mess around with that. Um, the next question is from Lee McLeod, and for a second there, I thought we were playing Truth or Dare uh, with, with this question, and you know, kind of understand why my brain was. It's weirdest place you've ever played Magic. Um, um, okay, I'll answer because I have a few ready, ready to go. I've played one a plane while we were flying, so you know, playing thousands and thousands of feet in the air uh, when I was a kid during um during recess we still either play on the concrete or play on the soccer field because like the soccer field didn't get used while we were doing recess and so we would just sit there we would like put one of our books down on the ground and play like on the book um i don't think they're like super weird but they're like you know not normal places to play magic yeah i don't know if i've played in weird places like the band room in school <laughs> um yeah none of, we don't have any crazy stories yeah i've never like like when I go on a a va- like a vacation that is not tournament related, I'm I usually don't bring magic cards. Yeah, so. exactly. 
I'm trying to think if I've if I've had any crazy weird, you know, uh, magic things pop up. Like, um, you know, when when I was in South America last year, I was like, I was like, are there any you know game stores around here? I kind of wanted to just see what it was like, but that never really came up. And you know, anytime I've been out of the country, stuff, I've always tried to look at that and stuff. But it's you know nothing nothing crazy or anything like that. Uh, Maddie J has the next question. And this one's to me. It says, Tannen, what matchup are you most worried about for Beignet? You know, referencing again the 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 march madness dog thing uh i fear no dog how about that uh, <laughs> my dog is the cutest dog in the history of magic so uh she's just gonna win uh it's so, like to get into the into the process you have to like write an application and one of the questions is why should your dog be accepted into the into the dog contest or whatever and i'm like well my dog's already won this we might as well just make it official that was, <laughs> that was my answer or whatever. So, uh, super cool stuff there. All right, let's get into the overrated, underrated. I'm gonna have to scroll a little bit here. Give me a minute just to make sure we don't get any, uh, get any, you know, extra done. Um, all right, Zeth Four says the current tiebreaker method. I know you're gonna have. Is this for Magic here. tournaments? I would assume they mean for Magic tournaments. Yeah. I I generally think it's fine. Um, Same. I've I've sometimes thought that it should be a player game win percentage first. I, I, the one thing I don't like is how it weights the early rounds of the tournament. Like somebody who loses round one and and wins out is so far behind somebody who like wins the first five rounds loses. That's what that's really what I don't like about it because I don't think like I, I get the ideas that like you're supposedly we're like playing tougher competition, but I honestly don't think the difference is that big, right? You know, Magic is a game with enough variance that like playing somebody who is three and one is not that different than playing someone who is four and oh. Okay. I, I once took ninth at an open on tiebreakers where I played against uh Philip Braverman, Reed Duke, William Huey Jensen, and Shahar Shenhar. Like, do you think my opponent had a tougher run in that open than I did? <laughs> I, I or the, the person who like, you know, jumped beat me on tiebreakers? Like, I doubt it. <laughs> but yeah, that's yeah. just the, the the way it worked out. It's the nature of the beast. Yeah. So I, I kind of like using player game win percentage. I've heard people argue that that like favors combo decks or like linear decks. And one, I'm not really convinced that's the case. Um, and two, uh, especially like linear decks that have obvious hate cards like Dredge, where like you're, you're supposed to like you win a lot of game ones and then you know they you know hit their hate cards and you're really far behind in games two and three um so i'm not convinced that's the case and honestly even if it were i think that would be fine because linear decks are cool mm-hmm. yeah definitely agree with you here uh the next one is from the shrimp zero one they say little kids tv shows elmo etc uh i'm gonna have two answers here actually so i'm gonna i'm gonna cheat i know you hate this i think they're underrated in the fact that um they're just good for children in the fact that they keep their attention giving their parents a moment of respite from, you know, the constant having to keep up with their child or infant or whatever, and lets them, you know, take a nap or have their brain process something else for one point in time. I think they're overrated in general, unless they're doing something good for the child. I mean, I understand, you know, for the super young kids, it doesn't do anything, but like, let's make them educational in some way, because TV for TV's sake, even though I am a, a, you know, I consume a decent bit of television myself, it does rot your brain. So yeah, like, I I don't like the idea of, of, generalizing every single kids tv show into one group so i'll say like sesame street underrated mm-hmm. but you know a lot of a lot of children's tv overrated yeah 
this this week's episode is brought to you by the letters U and R for underrated. All right. Uh, <laughs> Cathal says flashback, escape, and similar mechanics. I'm going to go with underrated. I love cards that have, uh, you know, they might not be super powerful, but like you get kind of multiple uses out of them. They're like, you know, what is it? Think twice, Geist Flame, you know, things like that. I absolutely adore those cards. Yeah, I, I actually don't like escape. I really just hate the idea that like it never stops. It always that, that I don't like. Yeah, I, I I I like the idea of having you know this card you know comes back once, maybe even twice. Just having a set limit on it that uh, obviously like is too hard to track beyond the first. Uh, so that's why you haven't really seen it. So I get that. So I'm I'm, I'm saying escape um, overrated. Whereas the other the ones that are just one shot from the graveyard, like uh, flashback, underrated. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That, that's a that's a better way of putting it. Uh, the tramp also says Beaumont Courier. Uh, I'm gonna go with overrated just because of what it, it happened in Legacy when they were like, oh yeah, this is the card that's gonna you know replace Deathrite Shaman and stuff. And I was like, this card sucks really bad. <laughs> it I was just say, not good. Uh, so the if my opponent is casting Beaumont Courier, it's underrated because I oh, never 100%. have the answer and it draws seven cards. And if I'm playing Bowman Courier, it's overrated. My opponent has turned one Thraben Inspector every time, and my Bowman Courier looks awful. Yeah, 100% agree. Um, uh, Bowman Courier is responsible for my worst record ever at an Open. Uh, we played a team Open. We 0-3'd. <laughs> this is the Open. Uh, I think we've, we've joked about this. This is an Open that I played in in Boston, and then I watched the last round at my house in Louisiana because... When I lost round three in like five minutes, so did so did one of my teammates. I immediately looked at my phone, found a one way out of the airport that was leaving in two hours. And the airport was like thirty minutes away, and uh, like Mike Sigris was there, and I was like, "Hey, I'll buy you lunch or whatever. Come, you know, bring me to the airport, or whatever. Grab my stuff." They brought me to the airport, got on the flight, flew home. You know, it takes two hours. Did you, you watch the last round of day one? Yeah. Nice. Yeah, I can't remember if it was like at my home or it was like in the car on the like on the way to my house. You know what I mean? Like, but I got home before the tournament ended, and it's in Boston, and I live in Louisiana. Yeah, Todd Anderson once uh, got the round one feature match at an open, won that feature match, and watched round nine from his home. It was in Richmond. He went you know one three or whatever, and and just dropped and drove home. Uh, I did. I did. I did a very similar one. Uh, there was an open in uh, where where do we go in Kentucky? Louisville? Is it Louisville? Usually, yeah. Yeah, we go to Louisville. So it was, it's a ten-hour drive, and everyone bailed on me the last minute. I was like, "F it, I'm gonna do it myself." So I, I drive up ten hours, get there, go to sleep, get up in the morning. I get the round one feature match, punt on camera, also get the deck tech because my deck was cool. Uh, lose. I think I go one and three or something like that. So it's about you know noon or one o'clock in the afternoon, and I sit there do the math the next day is my birthday and i was like if i stay i'm gonna play in a, in a classic tomorrow maybe not get done till like really late and have to drive home and maybe not even finish it or whatever i really just wanted to spend time with my family for my birthday so i went to the hotel got my stuff and drove home so i spent more time on the road by a significant margin than i did actually in the city that i was visiting nice so, yeah i am a very responsible human being uh, Massimo says protein bars. I think mostly overrated, but some of the really good ones are underrated. Yeah, they're also you, not as good for you as a lot of them advertise. Yeah, they're very they're very high variance. I actually I tried one recently as a because I fell victim to the advertising of the Locked On Jazz podcast. David Locke is the radio announcer for the Utah Jazz, and he does a daily podcast, uh, you know, about them. And one of his sponsors is Built Bar. 
And, uh, you know, I, I was like, yeah, they, they seem kind of cool. And sometimes, like, I'll sleep in on a day where I have to get, get into verses and I don't feel like making breakfast. I'm like, that'll be a good thing to just grab and eat. And they were pretty good. And, like, the, you know, the macros on them are also pretty good. They're, they're much lower in sugar than most, uh, but they tasted nice. So that was pretty cool. They're kind of expensive. It costs, like... I yeah. remember like getting like the twenty percent off coupon that he had, or like ten percent off or something, and it still came to like almost two dollars a bar. Yeah, and I gotta one hundred percent agree with you here. I know everyone jokes about me always saying that one hundred percent agree, but uh, I definitely agree with you here. I think they're underrated in that instance. I think they're slightly overrated for meal replacement reasons, like the ones that are like, oh yeah, take this protein bar for meal replacement. Like this is just I don't ever want to do this if I can avoid it type thing. Yeah, I agree. I would I would never really want to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just want to hear your answer here. Joe sat, says EDM music. Uh, over, overrated. I don't like it. Yeah, I figured as much. Uh, Equiven, I think is, I don't know how to pronounce this, says psychological warfare and competitive magic, i.e. one of settler wreckage type stuff. Um, I think it's underrated in certain areas. Like, especially with like open deck lists, you can do some really cool stuff. Like what I was joking about today, where if like you had a creature deck, you just had like one pump spell in your 60 or something like, that, like one thing in your in your deck and then like you start making all kinds of attacks or plays in certain ways that like your opponent has to respect that one of in your deck so you get a lot of value out of it since they know it's in your deck yeah i think the effect the impact of that stuff is pretty overrated it's not something i would really you know put a lot of effort into maximizing um but you know sometimes it can it can do something but in general that stuff is kind of overrated yeah i've seen some pretty crazy like you know, stuff like this, you know, taking this a little further and like how to get someone in magic without, you know, circumventing the rules. This isn't a, um, an angle shoot or anything, but like just, you know, ways to take advantage of certain things. You have to have like your opponent be a thinking player and someone that would notice something like this, you know, and just, and just playing in certain ways and stuff like that. So like, I, don't know, I guess I'll tell a quick story. that's really cool. Though it's like, it doesn't hundred percent fit this. This was, um, way back in the day. Um, the stack had like just come out. Like, you know, there being a stack in Magic. This is way back in the day. So six edition rules change. A, my friend's playing in a PTQ, right? And he's playing, like, mono white or whatever. And his opponent's playing the Illusions of Grandeur donate deck. So you can look that up if you don't know what this stuff does. But uh, my buddy's playing mono white. And he goes, like, planes, one drop, whatever, go. And his opponent does something. And he's like, okay, draw for my turn, attack you, discard to hand size. Or just go right he does this for like three turns in a row keeps discarding hand and size discards like a two drop or a three drop or whatever blah 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 does it over and over and so like on turn four the illusions players are like all right whatever cast illusions of grandeur or whatever it is uh whatever the spell is and my opponent who has the one white man up and this is a sideboard game uh goes all right uh come on to play ability and stack he's like yeah he goes erase your uh erase your your enchantment so the opponent just like dies and then he puts his hand on the table and it has like three planes in it and he just knew they would like go for it or whatever, and then he could just get them or something like that or whatever. It's just it's it's something along those lines. And I was like, that was actually really really cool, and like kind of making them think. I have missed land drops on purpose before in games. I have like not revealed a card to Delver Secrets like exactly like once or twice in my life because of little things like that. So it's it's pretty cool to be able to pull something like that off. Yeah. In general, though, I will say if you're thinking about doing stuff like that, do it when it is very low opportunity cost. Don't go out of your way to do it. Like, I think discarding a hand size there to, like, try to get them with that erase doesn't really make a lot of sense. Because if I'm playing from the other side, I'm thinking, like, oh, my opponent's not putting me under any pressure. Let me wait until I have this thing completely wrapped up and there's no way I can get cheesed out. Yeah, yeah. 
I just don't think they understood how like the stack worked and stuff. You know what I mean? So yeah, like, yeah. You know, uh, like that kind of stuff. Where, you know, can work against inexperienced players. So sure, like you know, t- take advantage of those opportunities when they come. But that's not something that's going to work against an experienced pilot. Yeah, hundred percent agree. Uh, one thing that I want to talk about before we move into the outro of the show is uh, something pretty cool. And you may have heard us, uh, or specifically me, tease this for, I don't know, it feels like months at this point for the Patreon. And uh, we've been saying, you know, something's coming, something's coming. Well, I'm not going to say that anymore because it's here. And they should be getting shipped out really, really, really soon. I don't know the exact dates on this. Uh, Brent, our lovely editor, is taking care of this. And this has been a labor of love from him. So if you're one of the people that actually gets this, and I'll get into it just a second, make sure that if you get into our Discord, you tell him thank you because he put a lot of time and effort into this. And this is where a decent bit of that money that y'all have been supporting our show with has actually gone to. You know, we've been making sure that we, you know, pay for the program that we use, make sure that we pay Brent. Uh, you know, Ross and I get a little bit on the side. That's mostly just from our endorsements and stuff like that. So we can kind of justify putting as much time into this as we do. But uh, and it's funny that you get to do this because this might actually bring back some good nostalgia from playing Paper Magic and going to events. You're getting a playmat with MTG rants and a whole bunch of stuff on it. It looks really, really good. I'm not going to spoil it or whatever, but you could probably understand what you could probably, you know, think and know what the, a little bit of it. what the image looks like on it. But there's a lot of cool stuff. I've seen it. It looks dope. Um, it'll be sent out to uh, the patrons who have given us the most support, and then we'll, there'll be more in the future. So I don't know the exact number of that. It's not a small number, but it's not a gigantic number. So if you've been a, a patron of the show and you've been supporting us for a while, expect something in your mail. You may be getting messages at some point in time like, hey, we need a, a shipping address to send you some stuff or whatever. But the uh, the playmats are in the mail. And we'll, we'll be getting out some of those new tokens whenever we get those done uh, as well. That's That one's a different one. We're waiting on some stuff with that as well. But like I said, the big thing that we've been kind of teasing because we had to get them made and made sure they were up to up to par and stuff like that. This this took a lot longer than we anticipated with going through the right companies because we want to make sure we got a quality product out of this. So again, if you're in the Discord, make sure you give uh, Brent some some nice love there. We love you, Brent. Yeah, absolutely. And I did mention that sponsor to be, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the sponsor just a little bit more. Make sure that you check out Barrister and Man for all of your soap, shave, and any other cool product needs. Um, I, you know, sing, sing their praises every episode about how much I love their shaving utensil, their shaving utensils, their shaving stuff. Like, you know, I really, really love like the shaving soaps. I really love the, the, the aftershave that they have. It's the best aftershave I've ever used. Uh, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't hurt afterwards which is really nice it leaves my skin nice and smooth i've been really big into taking care of my skin the last few years so this is a big step up for me and i, I love it because i was kind of bad about that in the past by not having a skincare routine and i'm getting up there in age ross you know i'm, I'm, I'm out in the sun and stuff like that i gotta make sure that i, I keep this 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 face at least a little okay because it's pretty much all i got going for me anymore so i gotta make sure yeah you gotta do, take care of the stuff. money maker you gotta, take care of, you gotta you gotta make sure the jawline accentuates something nice you know um, so make sure you check this out. Uh, I was informed by the owner that the uh, Diamond series is back, and that is the the I believe I, I'm 100% not 100%, but I believe that's the that's the name of the the ones that I was talking about. It's the baseball scented ones. Since baseball's in season now, you know we're about to start the season. So uh, I remember they were in low quantities last year. Like it wasn't just an unlimited source. So make sure you get those because. God, does it smell good, Ross? And uh, I'm excited to get. He's got. I've got some. Uh, I've already got some more of it coming in the mail. So make sure you check out. It's barristerandman.com. Uh, use the code MTG Rants for 15% off. Ross, 
if people wanted to hear some more stuff from you or see some more stuff from you, where would they go? First and best place is my Twitter account. I am at Ross Hunnids. Uh, and there you'll get updated on all of my content. Good place to also ask me questions as I do try to get back to people as often as possible. Then there's my written content on StarCityGames.com. Those articles tend to go up on Tuesdays uh, at 11 a.m. Eastern. That's my normal schedule. Deviations from that schedule will be announced on my Twitter. They happen as needed if, you know, Cedric needs to shuffle people around. Who knows? Uh, but generally Tuesdays. Uh, then there is my, uh, video content by which I mean versus live the web show. I co-host twice a week with Corey Baumeister. So we're on the star city games, Twitch channel from 1 PM to 4 PM Eastern time, uh, playing whatever formats are relevant. You know, we've been doing a lot of historic recently because that's been the, the big format for people leading into this, uh, weekend's, uh, call time championship starting next week we're going to be transitioning hard into Strixhaven preview season though i think we might do a little bit of historic with the uh these new mystic uh archive cards uh i, gotta I think, believe a phoenix deck is coming for you right yeah i think i think i'll push for one, at least one historic show uh maybe next week because we won't have as many cards for standard uh, at that time so it might be a good good idea to do one historic show then uh, but other than that, going to be a lot of Strixhaven standard coming up. We'll be, you know, getting, uh, you know, utilizing all the preview cards, and we'll see how they uh, how they work in action. Excited to get to play with the learn mechanic, uh, and uh, you know, see what else is out there with this set. And then, lastly, my Twitch stream, which has been inactive for a while, coming back soon. I know I say that all the time, but I promise it will. Uh, if you want to, you know, give me a follow. Uh, there, I would appreciate it. I am just Ross underscore Miriam on on Twitch. Tannen, if people want to, uh, you know, check you out anywhere, ask you questions, bother you about things, where might they find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter under or at the Tannen Grace. Uh, expect baseball <laughs> a little bit in, in, in the next whatever. I've been talking a lot about like TV shows and movies that I've been into recently because you know I've been stuck at home a lot, so I've been you know taking in more of that. And, uh, you know, a decent bit of magic stuff as well. Um, and on there, you can find out when I'm streaming because I do stream a decent bit. Uh, I d definitely will be streaming a lot when Strixhaven comes out because I love playing limited in the new formats. And I'm getting a little overdone from the last one because I've done like probably at least 100 drafts of the set. Um, you know, typically we're playing in really high mythic. So a lot of good games going on there. A lot of, you know, talking about what's good or not in the format. Also, uh, this week, I got to do my first uh, Gladiator stream. I had uh, Eric Jones, uh, Mr. Fire Shoes himself on Twitter, come in and, and help out. And do you know the, do you know the format, Ross? Uh, like no. what it is? So Gladiator is 100-card singleton, no commander. Uh, it's just like the 100-card singleton format on Arena. There's like a couple banned cards, stuff like Oko, Field of the Dead, you know, Teferi, you know, stuff like that, like the really annoying cards. But it's just a format where you get to make a 100-card deck and you play against your opponent. There's no sideboards. You can't use... You can cast cards that, you know, do something outside of the game, but you can't use anything from outside of the game. So no companion, no... Uh, what's the what's the fairy card? Whatever of the fae, you know, that gets a card outside of the, side, outside of the game. Yeah, granted. You can't use granted, you know, stuff like that. Um, you, can, you can cast the 1-4 or whatever, but... Um, I find it really cool, really fun. You can have some really competitive decks. You can have some really fun decks as well. Um, it takes, and it's it's a 1v1 format, which I like a little bit better than multiplayer. And it also takes the fun part of Commander that I like, where it's the randomness of a 100-card deck with all kinds of stuff going on. And then takes out the most unfun part of Commander that I think, which is the commanders themselves making the games too 
too repetitive. And I loved streaming it. It was a ton of fun. Everybody in the chat really liked it. And a lot of people were like, yeah, I'm going to go build a deck now. And it gives you some usage for your cards on Arena that you might not be using anymore. And you only need one copy of a lot of the stuff too. So there's there's some pretty good, uh, pretty cheap decks and stuff in there. So I'll be posting about that. If you're more interested in it, you know, talk to me about it in Discord or on Twitter. I'll probably be streaming it like at least once a week if I have time and stuff. I mean, like, we'll see what happens with the, the baseball schedule. I don't miss baseball games, so I'm trying not to. We'll, we'll get the streams going around there. So um, some timing on some of that might change. But looking forward to doing more of that in the future. Plus, you know, if you're into it and you really want to have some fun, I'll play against you on stream too. So come on, come all. We'll, we'll get some games in. I might have a, I've already got some ideas for some new decks where like one week I'm going to be like, all of my decks are monocolored. You know, I'm going to have a monocolored deck for every color, you know, including brown, Ross. Can't wait to do the, the Karn decks, even though I can't use the, the, the Karn to go get stuff. But yeah, so super excited about that. Make sure you follow uh, the web, uh, the website, our podcast, Twitter, get in that Discord and check out that Patreon if you feel like you want to uh, support us. Maybe, you know, you might only be a little bit away from getting one of those playmats if you haven't if you haven't already uh, gotten your, your gotten enough support in to get you one of those playmats. So we thank each and every one of y'all, especially the ones that support us that way. But if all you're doing is listening, that's great too. Make sure that you keep doing that. And until then, we'll see y'all next week. <laughs>